Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready? This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, folks? My Take Radio, episode 55, for Thursday, August 12th, 2010. The music you just heard was Oban of Geneva, and the artist was Neko Frog One. You can get that or any of the other intro music used in previous episodes at ocremix.org. Again, the artist was Neko Frog One, and the song was Omen of Geneva, and you can get that at ocremix.org. The call-in number is 347 324 Three five four one. All right, as always, let's start things off with a little housekeeping. First off, uh, so far for the month of August, My Take Radio has had 400 downloads through the Libsyn network. Uh, very good start so far for the month of August. Last month, for the month of July, we got a thousand, we broke a thousand downloads. So far, it looks like we're on tap to break a thousand more. Definitely very proud of that, for sure. You know, the only reason this continues to grow is because of you guys. So, of course, I appreciate all the support, words of encouragement, and as always, just a continuing amount of dedication from the fans as well as the staff. So without you guys, this wouldn't continue growing. So thank you all for spreading the word and helping the site grow. Fan page is at over 260 fans, hoping to hit 300 before September. Looks like we're going to be on tap for that as well, especially since the Twitter campaigns are slowly taking shape and more people are becoming more and more aware of the show. In regards to the UFC Expo, I will not be able to attend that, but I did receive the press passes for New York Comic Con, so My Take Radio will be covering the New York Comic Con October 8th, 9th, and 10th from the Javits, and possibly... There, may be, there might be some coverage of the Big Apple Comic Con as well. That's supposed to be August 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. So overall, a little bit of exposure in regards to that. There's still some final, a couple of things that need to be finalized for press, for Slick, as well as for my fiance, so that we can have everything covered. And at least three representatives from MTR will be there. There's going to be, you know, hopefully there might even be some live blogging. I've got to figure out how I can do that adequately and be able to provide updated content throughout the day. Worst case scenario, there will be a shitload of posts at the end of the day, probably the, the 8th. And uh, hmm, what is that? September what? I got a pop-up from Slick that says September. I don't think I fucked anything up. I believe it was October 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, and October 8th, 9th, and 10th, so I don't know what the September pop-up is for, but I will address that shortly. Also, MTR merchandise, swag, whatever you want to call it, we're probably going to have stickers made up for Comic-Con, so I will have those up and ready probably by the end of September. In addition to that, 
there will be shirts. I'm still trying to finalize the whole shirt thing. It's really a, a touchy situation, and I figured I'd share with you guys what my issues are. Um, number one, design. Pretty pretty straightforward. We got a pretty straightforward design. We kind of have an idea of where we're going to go with it. Uh, the quality of the shirts is a big issue just because I don't want to have shitty shirts that you wash once or twice and they fall apart. That's going to suck. Um, in addition to that, um, color choices, black shirts, gray shirts, white shirts, that's also an issue. I mean, predominantly the, the, the safe bed is going to be black. Also, there's going to be a matter of quantity, how many shirts, male and female, um, how many of each size to order, how much to charge, huge just total amounts of fucking bullshit. Um, but it's one of those things where I want to make sure that I have it 100% down pat before I release it out to the fans to purchase. So probably there might be some shirts made up just for the staff to, for Comic-Con purposes, and then based on that, we'll start releasing designs to the general public. The site redesign is in full effect. Um, there's already some adjustments being made to the new theme for the new site, so you should see that shortly. In addition to that, the new forum, I've already done some beta testing on it. I'm more than sure most of you that are already on our current forum are going to like the new forum a lot more. Um, there will be integration between new posts as well as forum topics because I know that's been requested a lot. Um, there may even be some chat functionality added. I'm actually testing that on and off for the last few days because I want to make sure that it's adequate and not only that, that it's moderated fairly often. Um, not sure how the moderation is going to work from a chat standpoint, but bugs that are being worked out in process, hopefully everything will tie together by the start of September, a little later than we expected, but nonetheless, I'd rather give you guys a, a quality 3.0 site than something shoddy. I mean, our current site is good. I have my gripes about it. They are what they are. Um, as always, the fan page is another avenue to reach MTR staff as well as other fans, so definitely hit that up if you're hesitant to venture into the forums. All right. With that said, there's been a couple of new posts this week. Stop by the site, check them out. A couple of posts from Slick. Um, he actually had it a really good post about UFC 117 and his thoughts on it. Considering that he watched the fight this weekend at, at the house here, there's definitely some, some interesting topics, especially in regards to what he thinks with Chael Sonnen. And in addition to that, he wrote a really good post about Junior Dos Santos' performance, so definitely stop by MyTakeRadio.com and check that out. Um, of course, Facebook fan page, like I said, hit it up if you haven't and show your support. The donation button actually has been doing really well. There's actually been a good number of donations that have been helping a lot of the stuff move forward. So those of you that donated, thank you very much. You've either gotten messages from me or have gotten thanked off air and privately. So again, thank you guys for that. And the ads, you guys know the deal. So with that, here's a rundown of some of tonight's topics. Definitely going to talk some UFC 117 the aftermath of that and what that means for the rest of the upcoming events for the remainder of the year. We're going to find out what happened to Paul Daly, WWE's upcoming guest host. We're going to talk some MPD numbers for the month of July with some of the titles that have come out. In addition to that, I actually want to discuss a couple of exclusives that are coming out for a couple of games probably within the next few months. 
definitely going to be some interesting things from that, and I'm more than sure some of you are going to have either comments of disgust or are actually going to be excited about that. In addition to that, as, as always, there's going to be talk of movie sequels. There's some issues with Ryan Reynolds and the Deadpool movie I want to discuss and some casting issues. Oh, and I actually, before I get into MMA, want to talk about an email I got today, which I may actually post on mytakeradio.com probably after the show. If not, I may have to find a way to edit it to not give out the person's information. But nonetheless, it was – I really want to say it leaned towards hate mail, and I got it about an hour ago. Um, it was basically in regards to my commentary on G4. Basically what's been happening is I've been kind of throwing veiled jabs at – not totally veiled, but definitely jabs at G4 – from regards to their app, their programming, their overall presentation, how they can improve. You guys have seen posts on the site about it, posts in the fan page about it, and, of course, my occasional Twitter posts in regards to them, which I make sure to tag and, and monitor accordingly. Nonetheless, let me read this to you as follows. Uh, Dear Rich, I've listened to a couple of episodes of your show um, I seem to have issue mostly with the fact that you tend to attack G4, and I really just have to say this. If you hate the channel so much, why do you watch it? And if you only watch it for show purposes, what are you doing to make sure that it improves? You are a gamer. You are a voice for the media. Why don't you, got, you, know, why don't you put your money where your mouth is and do something about it, quote, unquote? I can answer that real easily, and, of course, the person signed it allegedly CJ, quote-unquote. He didn't put a Twitter tag. He didn't put anything. I'm actually going to take the email, uh, hide the person's email address accordingly, and put it on the site. I did respond to it, and I'll give you guys my brief opinion of that. Basically, my response was, CJ, I do watch G4 mostly because it is the only form of video game news available to the masses from a broadcasting medium. Of course, half of the shit they cover, you can read about on the internet, you can listen about on sh- you can listen to on shows, and you can read in blogs. The fact of the matter is that if you call yourselves G4 TV for gamers and the majority of your programming is drivel and the other portion of your programming is dick jokes and tit jokes, then obviously I take issue with it because I am a gamer and I look towards other mediums to get my news besides the Internet. Plus, once in a while, you actually want to see the news delivered from an actual person as opposed to from text. In regards to doing something about it, I am. It's called My Take Radio, and I do it every Thursday at 11 p.m. That's the way I do it. I voice my opinions. I share them with the masses. I give people an open forum to agree or disagree. If they agree, I want to hear why. If they disagree, I want to hear why. I don't hide behind an agenda. I don't hide behind boyish good looks, and I don't have a pretty co-host that I throw in front of me to take away from the fact that some of the shit I cover is utter crap. I acknowledge that some of the news I cover are fluff. Some of them aren't, but I give an honest and true opinion. If you don't like it, by all means, I invite you to call in or take it on the fan page or send another email with a, a number or, or another way to reach you other than email. You're welcome to call the show as always, and I'm sorry that you do not like my coverage of G4, but I will continue to 
throw jabs at them until they notice and do something about it to become a true voice for gamers. That's it. The fact of the matter is this. I attack them not because of what they do, not even because of what they offer. I attack them because of the way they go about it. They pride themselves on being the quote-unquote, you know, the voice of gamers. I, I will go into it a little bit, and I will say this. I actually had the opportunity this morning. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Opie and Anthony. I listen to them usually every morning on the drive to work. Um, they actually had Chris Hardwick on, who obviously you guys know is from G4. He also does web soup. Very funny guy. He's also doing stand-up, I believe, at Caroline's uh, today through this weekend in the city. Guy was very funny, totally different than the quote-unquote G4 persona that is portrayed, as well as the fact that he's slightly different than how he portrays himself on web soup. Again, I don't want to take away from the fact that I'm sure some of these people that work at G4 may be knowledgeable and they may be nice, but they don't portray that genuine interest when they do broadcast their broadcast. On the fact of the matter is, let's let's take and and I always beat her up the most. Let's take Olivia Munn. Olivia Munn is a prime example of how to not deliver news. You're funny. You read off a teleprompter. The the odds of you being a true quote unquote gamer are fifty fifty, and your overall contribution to the gaming industry is nothing but a pretty smile, and some perky tits. That's it. On, the, on top of that, they usually put her, of course, with Kevin Pereira, who plays off of her well. He seems to have a more educated delivery in regards to what he's talking about. He actually seems to have knowledge on most of the stuff he's addressing. She's more so reading off the screen, and you can see it because her head rarely moves more than five or six degrees downwards. Why? Because she's reading either cue cards or a fucking teleprompter. It, it, that's the way it is. How am I supposed to look at you and feel that you're a relevant source for news when you don't even take the work you're doing remotely serious? Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about fucking Nightline for gamers or, you know, 2020, but I definitely feel that the way that gaming news are delivered is very inadequate. It, it's totally fucking stupid. And the fact is, you guys don't have original programming, not because you don't have it by choice, but because nobody does anything to bring original programming to the masses. It, it's total horseshit. And, th and this person, CJ, male or female, whoever they are, takes it upon themselves to ask me what I'm doing about it. it it's, it's, it's admirable that they would ask and tell me to put my money where my mouth is. I am. Every week I come on here and I talk about how shitty G4 can be. I do. I acknowledge their pluses and their minuses. And guess what? Their minuses far outweigh the pluses that they have. It's total horseshit. The way that they pander to the, the quote-unquote nerd and geek audience that they throw around so liberally is total horseshit. It offends me. It offends me as a gamer. It offends me as, you know a person who shares his opinions with the masses, it, it totally offends me just because they don't put any effort into distinguishing themselves from every other talking head on the fucking network. It's stupid. It, it really is. And the fact that this person, and I'm not mad at quote-unquote CJ, as this person is 
calling themselves. I'm not mad that they wanted to bring it to me because you know what? I want that. I want to hear that. I want to hear, hey, you know, you hate G4 so much or you hate this so much. What are you doing about it? If I had my way, I'd try and get on fucking G4. Put out an open casting call. I'd try to get on and see if their job is that hard and if I can do as good of a job, if not a better job than they can. But you know what? It doesn't fucking exist. And you know what? They fear the educated gamer. They fear the person that knows a little bit about technology and shit like that. You want to know why? They fear them because people will actually listen and give a fuck about them, and then nobody else will turn into the rest of their mindless fucking programming. It's disgusting. It really is. I do watch it, and I watch it for three reasons, and I'll tell you. I watch it to see what bullshit they'll do, and I watch it with a semblance of hope that maybe they get their shit together at some point. And, of course, the third thing is that there might be something that I may have missed throughout the week that they may cover. And, of course, I'll mention it on the show if apropos. Again, CJ, I want you to call in 347-324-3541 if you're quote-unquote listening. If you're not, stop by the fan page. Put a name, put a face to the name. State your case on the fan page. I guarantee you that out of the 263 fans on that fan page, more than half of them will admit to G4 being a steaming pile of shit. I, I relish it. I welcome the challenge for you to call in and state your case. I want to hear it. I want to see what makes you think that I'm a personally attacking G4. Do you work for them? Is that it? Are you tired of me calling them out on their bullshit? Because if you are and you work for G4, say, hey, I work for G4, and we strongly disagree with your views. I relish that shit. Please call in. You know, don't hide just behind an email. Because I responded to you. We'll see where it goes. But with that said, I'm not going to beat it up too much, but I guarantee you that this won't be the last we've heard of CJ, and I'm more than sure that he or she will write me again, and either they'll take me up on my challenge or they'll just continue to send me emails under other names with quote-unquote soft attacks on the show. It's total horseshit. They want it. They can bring it. That's what I want. I want G4 to bring it. I want G4 to call me out on my shit so that I can finish them. I can finish them. When, when your network consists of dick jokes and your host jumping into a fucking pie, what relevancy does that have to, I don't know, Modern Warfare selling a billion copies? I don't know. I think that's newsworthy and you guys should be covering it. But no, 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 no. You know, let's do disappearing dick tricks and aluminum foil gags. Let's do that because, you know, that's what we all give a fuck about and your canned laughter from your imaginary studio audience. That's okay. You guys keep doing what you do. I'm going to keep doing what I do. But I guarantee you that I will keep fucking getting in your faces until you guys either call in and challenge us directly or bring it to me in a way that's more credible than a fucking email. That's that. Let's talk some MMA news. First off, I'm a little heated about that email. Like I said, it's only about a half an hour old, and I am going to screen cap it and put it on mytakeradio.com just to give you guys an opportunity to state your opinions on it because there's no reason to hide it from you guys, the fans. So with that said, let's talk some UFC 117. First off, I will say this. I wasn't going to order it. 
I wasn't. But the fact is, they did such a fucking awesome job. Chael Sonnen is shit-talking Jesus. He did such an awesome job selling me on that card that I had no choice. I had no choice to order it to see him either break Silva's face or, or just see the greatest fight ever. And you know what? I have to say it was one of the best fights I've seen in a long time. But before I discuss it in its entirety, let's talk about Roy Nelson fighting Junior Dos Santos, which Slick referenced on MyTakeRadio.com in the article he wrote. The winner of this fight would be getting a title shot against the winner of Brock Lesnar and Cain Velasquez. Roy Nelson came in 16-4 and against Junior Dos Santos, 11-1. and so Dos, uh, Dos Santos was coming in with a KO victory over Gabriel Gonzaga, and Nelson was coming in with a TKO victory over Stefan Struve. They ended up going the full three rounds. Dos Santos just put on a clinic. Nelson took a ton of punishment, but he wouldn't go out. He didn't get KO'd. He, didn't, he just he survived. He's a tough son of a bitch. Roy Nelson, again, I talked a ton of shit about the dude, you know, just because I went by the preconceived notion that he has a, a fucking gelatinous body. But you know what? The guy can take a punch. He has serious power in his hands, and he knows Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It, it is amusing to watch him fight just because, like I referenced with Slick during the broadcast, it's like watching King Hippo from Punch-Out fight or Rufus from Super Street Fighter 4. But, again, Dos Santos did win, and he is getting the title match against the winner of Velasquez and Lesnar. But you really have to ask yourself, did you, how did, are you really satisfied with that win, considering that he ended up winning by unanimous decision? Yeah, you did beat Roy Nelson, but it wasn't decisive. There was no KO. There was no tap out. You basically beat a guy as best as you could, but couldn't finish him. That just shows that Roy Nelson is a tough dude, and Dos Santos, while he is good and he did win, is going to get eaten alive by either Lesnar or Velasquez. Again, anything can happen in MMA, and he can go in there and fucking smash either one of those guys and win the belt. But based on his showing against Nelson, I really wasn't impressed. And I like Dos Santos. He's a personable dude. He had a really good, he has really good stand-up. But Nelson is a, is a tough motherfucker, and if you couldn't put him away, what does that say about guys like Velasquez and Lesnar? We'll see how that plays out. Second fight of the night was Ricardo Almeida and Matt Hughes. Almeida was coming in with a submission victory off of Matt Brown. Hughes was coming off a TKO victory of Henzo Gracie. Henzo Gracie is the teacher of Ricardo Almeida. A lot of people were saying that this was Ricardo Almeida looking to avenge his teacher's loss to Matt Hughes. Needless to say, Round one came and went, and just as quick as it came and went was as quick as Matt Hughes beat Ricardo Almeida by front headlock of all things in round one. Uh, Hughes actually looked at the start of the fight like he did catch a finger in the eye. I don't, I'm not 100% sure, maybe a thumb, but nonetheless, Almeida was using leg kicks. He actually tried to go with a head kick, and it got blocked. Then there was leg kicks from Hughes. All of a sudden, body shots from Almeida, left hook from Hughes, clipped Almeida and dropped him. And when Almeida tried to get up, Hughes grabbed the front headlock, and that was it. Almeida got choked unconscious. Matt Hughes looks to be back almost in contention. He's, he's doing really well for a guy who's a Hall of Famer. He said in his post-fight interview that being a Hall of Famer puts an incredible amount of pressure on him, and he wanted to come out and have a solid performance. And boy, did he fucking deliver, man. He still got it. 
one of the lightweight fights of the night was Rafael Dos Anjos fighting one of my favorites, Clay the Carpenter Guida. Holy shit, was that fight ridiculous. It was just fucking three rounds of, of just madness. First round, definitely Dos Anjos did his thing. Guida in the second. Guida in the third, fucking fantastic. The, Dos Anjos ended up tapping because he ended up getting sustaining an injury, which is believed to be a broken jaw. I believe it may have gotten broken in the first round. So definitely an awesome performance from Guida. He's a, just an exciting fighter to watch in the lightweight division. Sure, he looks like a Geico caveman, but that motherfucker can fight. And he's just a, such a personable dude. He's such a, a fan favorite. It was ridiculous that they were just chanting his name in the arena. The crowd was definitely electric for that fight, and I, I enjoyed it. I definitely feel that Guida's going to be a guy that he's going to end up definitely getting a belt at some point in the lightweight division. He's going to definitely have a title run. He's definitely tightening up his game, working with Greg Jackson. So I was totally impressed. So props to Clay Guida for sure. Thiago Alves fought John Fitch. Again, John Fitch is a great fighter, but fuck is he boring to watch. I mean, that whole grinding style, just uh, just, just not, 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 not as exciting to watch. Doesn't dispute the fact that he's a phenomenal athlete and a great fighter, but he's just, he's just fucking boring. Thiago Alves came in half a pound overweight, and he refused to cut the weight. I think that it was at a point where he had where it was going to definitely be a detriment to him. So he had to forfeit 20% 20 of his purse to John Fitch. Uh, Thiago Alves, another great fighter. I was really excited for this fight. But, again, I'm thinking maybe the weight cut was a factor and just John Fitch was a better fighter. He ended up winning by unanimous decision. That puts him next in line for a title shot for the winner of Koscheck and GSP. It's always been stated by Fitch that if Koscheck was champion, that he would not fight him for the belt. I'll actually discuss the after you know the aftermath of the fight after I go through the card because it seems that John Fitch is definitely not holding on to the fact that he won't fight for the belt anymore. So definitely something that we'll discuss later on in the in the broadcast for sure. Of course, the middleweight fight, Chael Sonnen, Anderson Silva. All I gotta say is holy shit! As soon as that bell rang, it was fist to face. Chael Sonnen coming in, just putting an ass-whooping on Anderson Silva. I, there were at least three times in that fight where I thought it was a wrap for Silva. And that dude, he just didn't know, he just didn't know what to do. Sonnen came out, took him to the ground, fucking just kept punching him in the face, elbows to the face. He even clapped him over the ears a couple of times, which is definitely a legal move. But what ended up happening was he got all the way to round four just whooping Anderson Silva's ass. Then in round five, one too many times to the woodshed for Sonnen. With the ground and pound, he ended up getting caught with a Anderson Silva triangle choke, which he then switched to an arm bar, at which point Sonnen taps. So Anderson Silva maintained, you know, remained middleweight champion. One thing, though, Anderson Silva was definitely tested. It was a trial by fire for sure. Of course, after the fight, Silva said that he was fighting with a knee injury and that the doctors had asked him not to fight, but he did it for the fans. And, you know, he wanted to represent the Nagara Brothers Jiu-Jitsu, yada, yada, yada. Sonnen, of course, definitely disheartened with the, with, with, the, with the way the fight went, but he definitely would like a rematch. The post-fight commentary from Sonnen at the press conference was fucking gold. 
if you get a chance, definitely punch up UFC's post-fight press conference so you can see some of the, some of the great lines. Um, one particular line was and- fighting Anderson Silva is like eating Chinese food. You know, you're hungry, and after you fight, after 20 minutes, you want to go again. And I think if Sonnen would have just been a little more aware of submission defense, he wouldn't have got caught with the triangle, and he would have got the belt for sure. Unfortunately, things played out the way they did, but this raises a couple of questions. Will Sonnen get an immediate rematch? In addition to that, you got Vitor Belfort waiting in the wings. What do you do? Do you do Sonnen versus Belfort? Winner fights Silva. Do you give Vitor Belfort the shot? And then Sonnen gets a rematch against the winner? Definitely very interesting times in the middleweight division for sure. So with that, let's go into some of the news that came out of UFC 117. Of course, there were some fight bonuses handed out. Anderson Silva got submission of the night for his triangle choke on Shale Sonnen. That bonus was $60,000. Matt Hughes also got submission of the night for his modified guillotine arm triangle choke on Ricardo Almeida. Knockout of the night went to Stefan Struve uh, with his devastating second-round TKO of Christian Moorcraft. I actually forgot to go over that fight. Um, definitely not one of the most technically technically sound fights I've ever seen, and Stefan Struve just, is just a big, lanky dude. But overall, definitely a solid card. I mean, the bonuses were definitely deserved, and I enjoyed it. I Again, I went in very apprehensive thinking that, Sonnen and Silva was going to be the high point of the card, but the card overall was solid from start to finish. Now, post-five press conference, some of the things that were asked, especially of John Fitch and Dana White, were the following. In regards to a welterweight title shot, Dana White said, what happens is timing is everything. We've got to figure out. Koshek and GSP are going to fight after their season of the Ultimate Fighter. He's a winner tonight. Shields is going to fight Campman. So we'll see how this whole thing plays out. I think Dana White is definitely not trying to put Fitch in there first because he knows that Fitch can win and it's just not going to be an exciting fight. Now, if Shields gets past Campman, then if uh, something tells me Shields will get the shot against either GSP or Koscheck, at which point Fitch will get the, get the shot against whoever wins in either one of those fights. Overall, Fitch is definitely getting his title shot, but Dana White doesn't want to give it up right away just because, again, he doesn't want to be bored to death watching it. And he addressed that also when asked about John Fitch's style. He said he's not the most exciting fighter you'd hope for, but the guy's so dominant. So what are you going to do? You've got to give him his respect. He's one of the best guys in the world. But tonight, out of my entire card, the Twitter followers were none too excited about John. So, you know, you've got to ask yourself, do you give the fans exciting fights? or do you acknowledge the guys that are the most talented dudes in your division? So definitely going to be interesting for sure to see how it pans out. Jake Shields, of course, is waiting in the wings either way. John Fitch said, the only thing on my mind right now is getting married in three weeks. That's my focus. I'm going to enjoy tonight, and I'm going to, going to enjoy my win. Then I'm going to enjoy my wedding, and then I'll deal with the future. On fighting Josh Koscheck, Dana White said the following. You haven't heard a no completely out of John Fitch. He's not saying, no, I will not fight John Co- Josh Koscheck. I said it before, and I'll say it again. From what I understand of John Fitch and what I know of Josh Koscheck, I believe that both of these guys have the desire, the heart, and the spirit to take this fight. There's been guys that have been like, no way. There's no way I'll fight him. These guys aren't saying that. They are not saying no. So 
it seems that both guys are definitely changing their tones in regards to facing each other. Again, I think that Fitch fighting Koscheck is going to be fucking boring as hell. But you never know. They may both step up their game just because it's a title fight and give the fans what they want to see. I'm not holding out hope. Honestly, I hope GSP retains and he fights Fitch, at which point he beats Fitch, and then you get GSP and Jake Shields and get that shit out of the way. In regards to Chael Sonnen, Dana White said the, fo- the following. After Chael Sonnen turned in a dominating performance against Anderson Silva and came up short, here are some of the things that I think should be addressed. Of course, White said that he, in regards to a rematch, he goes, it's definitely a rematch I think people are going to want to see. Look at Twitter. Everybody's saying rematch, rematch. We'll see what happens. Vitor Belfort is waiting to fight right now. We would love to do it. We could do a rematch with Chael, but we'll see what happens. We'll see how it goes. So the fact is, Sonnen actually suggested that him and Anderson Silva do Ultimate Fighter 13, to which Dana White responded, we don't know what we're going to do yet. I think an Ultimate Fighter with Chael Sonnen would be great just because of the sound bites, but I don't think it would be great in terms of focusing on the fighters because there's just so much shit talking out of Chael Sonnen that it's just going to make it ridiculous. Not only that, but to watch a whole episode of Anderson Silva having subtitles is just not going to work. Noguera, his English isn't great, but at least you understood what he was saying. In regards to some of Chael Sonnen's commentary post-fight, he said, when asked, does he regret all the trash talking? He said, I don't apologize for anything. I'm not backing off my stance, and if I ever did, I would send myself a pink slip and move on in life. When asked about whether he refused to apologize, he goes, I'm not Dog the Bounty Hunter, and I don't issue apologies, and you're not, gonna get, you're not going to be the first one to get one out of me. In regards to his style, he responded with, when I go off, it's like a bomb, and everybody around me is going to get dirty. That's the way it goes. I don't offer any apologies for any of the stuff I do, and these guys need to get thicker skin. Second off, everybody in the UFC should issue an apology except me. If you stick a microphone in a guy's face and he calls out anybody but the champion, Joe Silva should fax him a pink slip right there. I think that uh, the rematch ramifications between those two guys would be fantastic. Definitely not ultimate fighter caliber, but definitely good enough to where people would definitely pay for a pay-per-view because, fuck, I would pay for one. With that said, that's the UFC 117 coverage. This Friday, you can check out the Strike Force Challengers event on Showtime. Definitely worth watching. You got Joe Riggs fighting Lewis Clark as the main event. In addition to that, Randy Couture's son, Ryan Couture, makes his professional MMA debut against Lucas Stark. In addition to that, there will be the Strike Force Women's 135 pound tournament. You got Hitomi Akano in there, Karina Dam, Misha Tate and Meiju Kujala all fighting. Um, the card will be determined about who's facing who after the weigh-in, so definitely going to be something worth watching, especially if you enjoy watching women's MMA and you have showtime, definitely check out the Strike Force Challengers event. It's probably going to be at 11 p.m. tomorrow for sure. SureDog.com is reporting that Bobby Lashley has made some comments about possibly facing off against the Animal Batista. Now, before I get into this little bit of news, I've got to say this. I've seen Batista training, you know, his little two-day-a-week training with Nick Diaz and those guys at Caesar Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Let me tell you something. In terms of being athletic, the guy has the tools. 
In terms of him being a successful MMA fighter this late in the game, very small are the chances. If this were a bodybuilding contest, by all means, Batista would win. But this is about fighting and getting your ass beat. And even though you beat up dudes coming out of the nightclub, this is a whole other ball game. And not only that, you'd be fighting Bobby Lashley in your first professional fight. Bobby Lashley is a military caliber wrestler. He's a collegiate wrestler as well. He's been training MMA for a while. He's had, got a couple of fights under his belt. Training two days a week at Caesar Gracie's Jiu-Jitsu in your first fight is against Bobby Lashley, and you remotely think that you have any chance of winning? You're out of your fucking mind if you think that. But nonetheless, when Lashley was asked about it, he said the following. Strikeforce does want to make the fight, but it's not something that I would really like to go in. But we'd take the fight if that's what Strikeforce wanted. I'm not disrespecting Dave at all, but he's new to the game. That's definitely a fight for the fans, but not so much for my career. I'd do it, but I'd keep moving forward. Nice way of putting it, Lashley saying, look, you want me to fucking bust this guy up for the fans? Gladly. Do I really give a fuck about it for my career? No. And you know what? I agree. Don't get me wrong. The fans probably would want to see it, and I'm sure it would bring in a wrestling demographic to watch an MMA fight. But the fact of the matter is, but he still get destroyed. He would. And, and you're, putting him in, you're putting him in there against Lashley first. It's like they're serving, up, they're serving him up to get destroyed. If this guy wants to have any sort of a promising MMA career, he should have started off small, done a couple of small shows like Lashley did and Lesnar did. And if you get a couple of wins under your belt, you sign with a promotion, you get a couple of pro fights, and you're good to go. Obviously, going about it this way, definitely not the way to do it. I think that doing this is just strike force setting up Batista for failure. It, it, that's all it is. I think that they want to try and get that, that huge buzz going. They want to bring all the, all the fucking wrestling fans in. Batista gets destroyed. They put him back on strike force challengers or non-televised cards, and that's it. And they make all their money right off the bat with not, too, with not too much risk. We'll see how it pans out in the coming weeks. It's definitely looking more and more like a certainty, like it's going to happen. I'd watch it. I wouldn't pay pay-per-view money for it. If it's on Showtime or on CBS, I'd watch it. Pay-per-view, you're out of your fucking mind if you think I'm going to pay for that. Like I said earlier in the broadcast, Diago Alves came in at half a pound over. This is the second time he's been overweight for a fight. You know, they were saying that he should be fighting at middleweight. Dana White said that he'd like to see Tiago Alves move up to middleweight given the fact that he's had so much issue cutting weight instead of staying at welterweight. Tiago Alves recently hired Mike Dolce to help him avoid what happened over the weekend. He said the following in regards to his future in the welterweight division. He goes, I think at 185, these guys are way too big for me. I'm too short at middleweight. That would be a big disadvantage to move up to 185, and I'm going to lose strength as well also because the guys are much, much bigger and taller than me. At 170, I'm good. I've got a good reach, and I'm sharper than most of the guys I fight. I want to apologize to all my fans. I've never been through this situation before. I hate it, and I'm never going to allow myself to get into this situation again. Could I have lost half a pound? Sure, I believe so, but it could have taken me a long time to get the half a pound to come off, so it was just easier for me at the time to let them take 20% of my purse. 
I wasn't happy doing it or anything, but it was the smarter decision for me. I think that, you know, Tiago coming off a 13-month layoff, you know, he had the fucking brain issue. Definitely something that definitely set him back. Probably some ring rust was in there as well. It's, it's really weird that it's happened to him twice on two separate occasions. I mean, against Matt Hughes it happened, and now with Fitch. I think bringing in Dolce as a, as a nutritionist is a solid move. Mike Dolce did a fantastic job with Rampage, getting him ready for the Rashad fight. I mean, being uh, physically sound didn't help Rampage win the fight, of course, but nonetheless, Rampage was a guy that they always gave issue in terms of him cutting weight. He had fantastic work ethic. He cut the weight. He looked in great shape for his fight against Rashad. I think Tiago working with Mike Dolce will definitely help him. Now it's just a matter of what happens if he comes in overweight again. Uh, do you force him to move up? Do you cut him? What do you do? Definitely interesting to see where he goes. I mean, Diago Alves is definitely one of my favorite fighters. I'm a huge fan of the pit bull. So it's unfortunate that he's been, he's been having all these issues, you know, the brain issue and, the, you know, the half a pound and having to give up 20% of his money. Definitely not a good look for sure. We'll see what happens. UFC officials announced earlier this week through Twitter that they would be televising the weigh-in ceremonies for UFC 118 on Spike TV. The card, of course, is going to have the lightweight title rematch between Frankie Edgar and BJ Penn. And in addition to that, of course, Randy Couture and James Toney, which the UFC conference call was today. James Toney talking a huge amount of shit. He's ready to rock and roll. I have a feeling that it's going to be that fight is going to outshine the main event between Edgar and Penn. But you never know. It may just as easily be Randy Couture throwing James Tony a beating and them going the full three rounds. But we'll see how it pans out. Lastly, Paul Daly, of course, sucker punched Josh Koscheck after the bell at UFC 113. The Quebec Athletic Commission was looking into what they were going to do about it. Seems that they have finally rendered a decision. The Quebec Athletic Commission will be suspending Paul Daly for 30 days. Uh, the action against Daly comes three months after the event occurred. Despite the suspension, the, the Quebec Athletic Commission said that Paul Daly will be able to fight at Shark Fights 13 on September 11th as the, suspe- as the suspension began on Tuesday. Daly has not been reachable for comment as of yet. Got to give credit to MMAJunkie.com for breaking that news story. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to come back, talk some wrestling, ECW Hardcore Justice, Got to talk about that for sure. Monday Night Raw and a couple of other things right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... <laughs> well, you won't listen to that on our show because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter, video game news radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. All right, and we're back. Let's talk some wrestling. This past Sunday, ECW made its return at TNA Hardcore Justice. Of course, they can't be called ECW since WWE owns the name, so it just says EV 2.0. Totally irrelevant, no correlation with ECW. Needless to say, of course, WWE's kind of flapped their gums about 
ECW's name being thrown around and the fact that they can sue TNA at any moment, at, at, at a moment's notice in regards to that, WWE needs to lighten up because TNA didn't really acknowledge ECW too much. They just said that they were former ECW stars. I don't see any harm in that. There's no harm in mentioning that they wrestled for ECW, just the same like you could say that they wrestled for WWE. Who gives a shit? Is it really that fucking serious? I mean, WWE should really focus on fucking delivering solid product instead of worrying about whether you say ECW once or 20 fucking times. It's, it's really unfortunate that their legal team is waiting for them to say the almighty ECW so that they can jump and sue them. It's, it's absurd. It really is a, a stupid notion. But nonetheless, everybody was excited about the pay-per-view. I heard a lot of people definitely wanted to see it just to see if a lot of these ECW guys still had that wrestling talent that made the promotion so popular back in the 90s or if they were fucking shells of their former selves. I, I definitely feel that it, would be, that it was definitely 50-50. Uh, the first car, the first fight on the card was the FBI. They fucking dug up Tracy Smothers out of nowhere, Little Guido and Tony Mamaluke, and they had Big Sal with them. They were fighting Kid Cash, Simon Diamond, and Johnny Swinger. Overall, solid match, start to finish. Tracy Smothers fucking taking an ass whooping. He definitely was not at a hundred percent, but um, definitely a, a nice match to get the card started. I'm not going to say it was the fucking greatest match, but it wasn't the shittiest. So overall, it was good. The FBI ended up winning via pinfall. It was uh, Little Guido on uh, Simon Diamond with a, a version of the unprettier, quote-unquote. So with that said, definitely a solid opener. The FBI, I'm surprised they managed to get all those guys together again and that they almost completely look like they belonged in 1995. It's like they fucking jumped in a time machine, plucked them out of 1995, and put them in the ring in fucking 2010. It was really funny for sure when I saw the fucking FBI come out. C.W. Anderson versus Tuco Scorpio was the second match. Definitely a, a crazy inverted 450 leg drop from Tuco Scorpio as he won against C.W. Anderson. Again, he can't shit on the match. It was exactly what it was, and there was going to be a really great move from Two Cold Scorpio, and he delivered with an inverted 450. Now, just incredible, unfortunately, for some reason, uh, there's a woman who owns or has the name Just Incredible trademarked, and based on her having that trademark, he could not use the name Just Incredible. I don't know how fucking ridiculous of a of an issue that is. I got to definitely do some research. So he had to wrestle as PJ Polacco, which is fucking terrible. Just incredible is, is just fucking synonymous with ECW. And the fact that he can't use that wrestling name is absurd. He ended up wrestling Stevie Richards. He had a uh, Hollywood Nova and the blue guy with him, AKA the blue meanie. It wasn't the real blue meanie. It was a guy that actually had dress up like the blue meanie to keep the whole uh, Blue World Order intact. Stephen Richards ended up winning the match with a Stevie kick. Crowd definitely was into the match. They were chanting for Just Incredible. They were chanting Just an Asshole. They were chanting We Want Blood. So crowd definitely into it for sure. Um, Post-match, 
just incredible. Ended up cracking Stevie Richards with a cane. Starts beating his ass. Lights go out. Of course, when the lights go out, who shows up but the Sandman? Right, white Russian leg sweep. Sandman whoops fucking PJ Polacco slash Just Incredible's ass with a Singapore cane. Poses, and everybody's happy. They uh, showed a little bit of video for Francine. She was there. Well, I believe it. I, I believe she was there. Fuck, I don't fucking remember if it was her there or a recorded message from her because I kind of fast-forwarded through that portion of the fucking show. Nonetheless, next match on the card was Brother Run, a.k.a. Spike Dudley, had his full Spike Dudley get-up on, taped glasses, tie-dye shirt overalls, typical shit. He fought Al Snow and Rhino. So Al Snow actually was the high point of that match, if you can believe that shit. Al Snow showed that he still's got that he still got plenty of fucking um, wrestling skill to carry matches. Of course, Brother Run ended up eliminating Al Snow, at which point Rhino fucking killed Brother Run dead with a gore. So definitely a great match, and it was to be expected from Rhino. Uh, next match on the card was Axel Rotten and Cajones, or Balls Mahoney, as he's so known. I don't know why they changed it. I don't know. I think it's because WWE probably owns the name Balls Mahoney, so they had to use Cajones instead. And they fought Team 3D, who actually dug up Joel Gertner for the match. Definitely very well done. Uh, Dudley Boys came out in full tie-dye regalia as well. And somebody got fucking powerbombed through a flaming table. So nice little homage to ECW there. At which point... Who comes out but the gangsters, fucking New Jack and Mustafa, which definitely I had to actually mark out a little bit for that. Huge gangsters fans. They were maniacs in ECW. They were just as crazy when they came out in TNA. Definitely hoping those guys stick around after the ECW show because the gangsters are just great television. Just the ghetto-ness of New Jack. The fact that people are getting stapled in the, in the head was... Uh, it was ridiculous, for sure. Uh, of course, Tommy Dreamer versus Raven. Mick Foley was your guest referee. Another great match. Raven ended up winning with an even flow DDT, for sure. I kind of knew that was going to happen. One thing that does bother me is that every time Tommy Dreamer's in these huge matches, he seems to be on the losing end. I know the guy's a lovable underdog, but what the fuck, man? Can you guys give Tommy Dreamer a break? Jesus. I know the guy's not fucking... The, the best guy in the world in terms of wrestling, but he's a fucking legend. The, guy, the guy's broken every bone in his body at least once for this business. And, yeah, you want to give Raven the pinfall because it's great and you'd expect it because it's Raven, but fuck, man, give Tommy Dreamer a little love. Overall, definitely a great match. Nova was involved. Beulah was involved. Barbed Wire, Mr. Socko, Mandible Claw was involved. Oh, it was ridiculous. Just a fantastic match for that as well. Of course, the main event was supposed to be Rob Van Dam. He was supposed to be fighting Jerry Lynn. Jerry Lynn actually sustained an injury and had to pull out of the match. But nobody better to step in than Sabu, which was ridiculous. Sabu actually ended up cutting his hair. He was bald. Ridiculous match from start to finish. Of course, Rob Van Dam's going to win with a five-star frog splash. You had a fucking Arabian face buster, camel clutch. You know you were going to get one of those. Arabian guillotine, just an awesome match from Sabu. I'm surprised that he can fucking still wrestle 
the guy's been injured so many times, and they're usually horrific and terrible injuries. But again, Sabu delivered, and, and the crowd went home happy. Afterwards, their, the ECW roster came out. They had a bit of a beer bash. Of course, there was Fuck You Vince chants from the crowd in Orlando. They brought Dixie Carter in. A little bit of Dixie Carter ass-kissing, which I didn't like. But solid pay-per-view. Wasn't the greatest pay-per-view ever and the greatest thing for ECW. I think One Night Stand, the original, was the best homage to ECW I had seen. But it was passable for sure. I'm, I'm more than sure that some people are going to have their commentary. Oh, well, why did they bring that shit back and blah, blah, blah. It, it was what it was. It was fun. It was enjoyable. If you paid your fucking 30 or 40 bucks for it and you enjoyed it, that's great. If you didn't like it, it happens. I'm more than sure half of those guys TNA is not going to keep, but it's definitely something to see in the near future. I think there's been a couple of reports about some upcoming episodes of Impact. I don't want to spoil anything, but I recommend you tuning into TNA tonight and next week and probably the week after that. I can tell you that these next three weeks of TNA broadcasts are going to be ridiculous. So keep an eye out for those broadcasts for sure. Let's get into the WWE a little bit. Of course, Monday Night Raw, they continue to tease all the dissension amongst Team Cena as they prepare for some, their SummerSlam match against the Nexus. First match of the night was The Miz versus Evan Bourne. Every time I see Evan Bourne in a match, my, my, my rationale is, oh, he's going to win and he's going to do, you know, it, it, this is the start of his push into the upper mid card. No, not happening. Miz ended up winning, of course. The match was solid. This was actually just done to make The Miz look good. It succeeded. Second match of the night, Melina versus Alicia Fox. Again, typical Divas match. Alicia Fox, Alicia Fox needs to fucking drop the belt to Melina because she is not that good in the ring. She needs to definitely tighten that up a little bit so she can do a fucking, a fucking better job. Melina definitely shows that she's been in the game longer, and it was a good return outing for her. Again, not the shittiest match, but definitely not that great. Um, for some reason, the third match of the, uh, of the broadcast was supposed to be DiBiase fighting Mark Henry. Mark Henry got his ass beat up by the Nexus, so guess that match wasn't happening, which it didn't. They ended up going with uh, some of the, N- the NXT Season 2 guys. Percy Watson, Lucky Cannon, and Cavall, a.k.a. Low Key, fought Michael McGillicuddy, Husky Harris, and Alex Riley in a six-man match. Husky Harris, Riley, and McGillicuddy ended up winning. I really don't understand why they threw that in so randomly on Raw. Are they going to add any of these guys to the Nexus? I I don't know. Maybe it was filler so that they can test it out in front of a large crowd. No idea. It kind of seemed a little out of place. Fourth match on the card was William Regal and Zack Ryder fighting R-Truth and Morrison. Typical formulaic tag match when Truth and Morrison are involved. Um, ended up being Starship Payne, of course, for Morrison. Ended up winning with that. Again, I don't know if they're going to tease any dissension with Truth and Morrison. I think them as a tag team is a little strange. I don't know what they're going to do with that. We get two Divas matches. The Bella Twins fought Gail Kim and Eve and Maurice and Jillian. The Bella Twins ended up winning. Why? I don't know. I think that their wrestling is fucking definitely starter quality. In other words, hi, I know a headlock. Hi, I know a chin lock. Oh, I know how to throw a punch and a kick. 
and that's my whole offense. When the Bella Twins wrestle, that's what I expect. I also expect at least one switcheroo between them in a match. But I guess they wanted to give the Divas a little bit more airtime this week. The last match of the night was Chris Jericho and Edge versus Bret Hart and John Cena with the Nexus as Lumberjacks. Definitely, they teased all the dissension. Nexus was in there trying to whoop everybody's ass. Jericho and Edge would have nothing to do with it. They fronted like they were going to walk out. They didn't. They ran back in there and fucked up the Nexus, and they stood tall. Of course, one of the things that was teased throughout the broadcast is now that Mark Henry, uh, now that the great Kali is out, and, Mark, and the chances of Mark Henry being in or out the window, that the Miz may, may be the one to step up and be on Team Cena leading up to SummerSlam. Whether they do that or not, I know there's a heel turn in there. Originally, I expected a John Cena heel turn. Not so much, because he's got a new movie coming out, so of course if you turn him heel right now, the kids aren't going to go and make their parents take him to see it. Um, maybe Jericho, maybe Bret Hart or maybe the Miz are going to side with the Nexus. The way I see it is, all of these guys have at some point gotten their asses whooped by the Nexus, so it kind of keeps the door open in regards to who's going to be the guy that's going to turn on the team. Who knows? They may switch it up and not turn anybody. We'll see how it goes. In regards to some good old WWE celebrity guest hosts, it seems that they're actually bringing back a couple of they're bringing back the guest host format in full swing. Penn and Teller are going to host Raw September 20th. Why? I don't fucking know. They don't have any guests announced after September 20th. Bobby J. Thompson is scheduled for October 18th, and Toby Keith is for October 25th. I don't know if they're going with every two weeks, once a month. No idea what they're doing with the guest hosts. Definitely don't miss them. Definitely getting tired of the fucking mystery GM as well and the stupid emails. And Michael Cole going, excuse me, I got a note from the GM. It's like, ugh, can this fucking angle end? Because it stinks. Nonetheless, moving on, it's rumored that WWE has signed Ring, Ring of Honor World Champion Tyler Black. Rumors are that Tyler Black will be debuting in the third season of NXT. Number one, I thought that there were only going to be two seasons of NXT because they're moving SmackDown to the Sci-Fi Network in the fall guess they're at keeping NXT for one more season. In addition to that, Tyler Black, of all people, signing with Ring of Honor, here's a guy that you would think would go to TNA just because he kind of fits the TNA mold. Now, of course, they'll bring him into WWE. They'll give him a name like fucking Jimmy Wonderpants or some shit and give him the most generic name ever and then expect people to fall in line and cheer for him. And on top of that, They'll give him the typical WWE formulaic offense, which is punch, kick, punch, one special move, one finisher, and that's it, and maybe a catchphrase or two. Unfortunately, them, WWE, when they get a lot of these guys, they just fucking strip away so much of their shit that they just become shadows of their former selves. Happened with CM Punk. Luckily for him, he had such a huge following and such a huge fan base that they've adjusted, and CM Punk is actually one of the guys that has been very successful from Ring of Honor in a WWE setting. Of course, Daniel Bryan is the second, but obviously after the whole choking incident, not so much. What they're going to do with Tyler Black and NXT, we're going to find out probably in the coming weeks, just because, like I said, SmackDown is leaving my nine, which is fucking the most 
stupid, the stupidest network ever, and they're going to put them on sci-fi. Why they don't put them on USA? I don't know. The, the, well, I mean, I know they have a deal in place where sci-fi has to get some sort of programming, but really, sci-fi channel, why don't you just put all the shit on USA? Uh, but, nonetheless, in the last bit of WWE news, they actually released a new DVD box set called Monday Night Raw The Beginnings, Seasons 1 and 2. They actually have a couple of good matches on there. On the first disc, you're going to get Coco Beware versus Yokozuna from January 11th, 1993. On that disc, also, you got The Undertaker versus Damian Demento. How's that for a fucking blast from the past? They got the Loser Leaves WWE match, which is Ric Flair versus Mr. Perfect. Fuck, I'd buy the disc, the box set, just for that. Of course, they got the 10-bell salute to Andre the Giant when he passed away in 1993. Lex Luger versus Jason Knight is on there. Brutus the Barber Beefcake versus the Million Dollar Man from 1993 is on there. The Formation of the Mega Maniacs, Bret Hart versus Fatu, uh, Doink the Clown, Pie Faces Elvis, uh, Kona Crush on the Sands of Hawaii, Mr. Perfect versus Rick Martel. That is a fucking awesome match. Fuck, I may have to get this. I usually try not to buy any WWE stuff until it comes out on Blu-ray, but they got a couple of good ones on there. Doink the Clown versus Kamala. Lex Luger versus Crush, uh, the Lumberjack match between Hacksaw and Jim Duggan and Shawn Michaels, the Kid versus Razor Ramon, which if I'm correct is probably the match where the Kid pinned Razor Ramon. For those of you that don't know, the Kid is AKA the One Two Three Kid, AKA Six, AKA X Pac, AKA Six Pac, whole bunch of fucking aliases. The IC Championship match with Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels is on there. The King of the Ring tournament match with Mr. Perfect and Doink the Clown. In addition to that, on the second disc, you get the two out of three falls match with Marty Jannetty and Doink the Clown. Why? Yokozuna getting body slammed on USS Intrepid. I actually remember that. That was Lex Luger doing it. He came in a fucking helicopter, hit him with a steel-plated forearm, and slammed him on the Intrepid. I remember that. I saw that. I was fucking 13 years old. It was the coolest thing I had seen in a long time. Bret Hart versus Bam Bam Bigelow's on there. The arrival of Jim Cornette. Macho Man Randy Savage versus Doink the Clown. I don't remember the specifics for that match, but I remember it was a pretty cool match. One, two, three, Kid versus Million Dollar Man. The Quebecers getting the tag team belts. Rick Martel, Razor Ramon, IC Championship match. Is there any other fucking notable matches in here? Wow, oh yeah. The introduction of Thurman Sparky Plug. For those of you that don't know about Thurman Sparky Plug or Spark Plug, you may know him as Hardcore Holly. So definitely something there to see. Jeff Jarrett versus P.J. Walker. P.J. Walker is also P.J. Polacco, who is also just incredible. Also on the third disc, uh, the WrestleMania 10 coin flip, the Quebecers versus Razor Ramon and the 123 Kid, Yokozuna versus Macho Man Randy Savage, Lex Luger versus Rick Martel. The 10-man tag match with IRS, Jeff Jarrett, Rick Martell, and the Head Shrinkers. Fighting Tatanka, the 1-2-3 Kid, uh, Spark Plug, Holly, and the Smoking Guns. Jesus Christ, I feel so old reading some of this shit. Razor Ramon versus Jeff Jarrett is on that card. Yokozuna versus Earthquake in a sumo match. King of the Ring qualifier with Owen Hart and Doink the Clown. The, de the raw debut of Duke the Dumpster Drosy. Holy shit. What a fucking shitty character that guy was. 
That was during the time when WWE would make characters that were the utmost fucking bullshit. Duke the Dumpster Drossy, the Goon, uh, Earthquake and Typhoon, um, Akeem the African Dream. Holy shit, I can go down the list. Mantar. Um, who the fuck else was it? Bastion Booger. Uh, the Godwins. Holy shit, that was when, when wrestling just had the, was all about characters. It was disgustingly terrible for sure. And on the fourth disc, they started, getting re- that, they started getting really creative and started adding some really good matches like Diesel versus Lex Luger, uh, Alundra Blaze versus Bull Nakano. How's that for a blast from the past? Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon, of course. Owen Hart and the 123 Kid. Uh, Mr. Backlund demonstrates the crossface chicken wing. Jeff Jarrett versus the British Bulldog. And The Undertaker versus the Brooklyn Brawler from December 24th, 1994. I, I honestly think that this is actually a really good box set that I would recommend picking up if you're a fan of the old days. Just because, like I said, they got some really great matches in there. Fucking Owen Hart versus the One Two Three Kid was a great match. And um, the $10,000 challenge match with Nikolai Volkov, how's that for a fucking name drop, and Tatanka is also on there. Overall, a solid box set if you still buy DVDs. I'm definitely probably going to give it a rental from Netflix and just wait to see if they put it on Blu-ray and they restore some of the old footage. Lastly, to wrap up the wrestling news, Linda McMahon has officially secured the Republican nomination by winning the primary. She is now fit to go and run in November on behalf of the Republican Party. How about that? Linda McMahon running for fucking the Senate seat in Connecticut come November. Who would have thought you'd see that happen? That's right up there with Arnold Schwarzenegger becoming governor in terms of weirdness. But you know what? She seems to got her head in the game, and a lot of people like her, so she, you may actually see a McMahon in the fucking government. That, that's just fucking ridiculous. It's like Vince McMahon becoming president. Ugh, that's some weird shit. Imagine that they, they have, uh, you know, state senator Linda McMahon was at Congress today when all of a sudden Vince McMahon walked in with theme music and proceeded to slap Barack Obama in the face. Like, just, that would never happen, but those are the types of visuals you get. Imagine that just no chance hits, and this man comes in doing that, my testicles are too big for my fucking legs walk that he does, and he's just like, shut up, Barack Obama, and slaps him in the face, and he's like, you're fired, like he always fucking does. It would be hilarious to see, I guarantee you it'll never happen, but it would be an amusing thing for sure. And last but not least, to close out the wrestling news, Hulk Hogan is undergoing back surgery again. I think this is his third time going under the knife, so the MTR crew definitely wishes the Hulkster a speedy recovery. With that said, we're going to get into some video games right after this commercial break. The following advertisement is for VaughnStubbornRadio.com. Stubborn Radio. We like news, we like current events, but we like the fucked up news and the fucked up current events. At Stubborn Radio, we talk about everything in entertainment. We talk about movies. We talk about music. Mostly heavy stuff. Have good mosh pitting! And because we're big fucking nerds, we talk about video games. <laughs> we're big fucking nerds. We love video games. Fuck's sake, man. Rich loves the show. Yeah. Hey, Rich, 
you like the show, don't you? Yeah, man. Are you sure you like the show? Yeah, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the music. Isn't Born Stubborn Radio one of your favorite podcasts? Yeah, man. Awesome. Okay, hold on a second. But I was just curious. I'm thinking about coming to New York. Awesome. You live in New York, right? Yeah. You think maybe I could uh, crash on your couch? Uh, in the predominantly Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shits. Um, Rich, I love you, but I don't know what the fuck he just said. In the Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shits. Exactly. Okay, I, I don't know what Rich is thinking, but PornStepInRadio.com is where you should be going right now. Here you go, get it! Have good much fitting. Alright, and we're back. Let's talk some video games. Seems a little quiet on the lines tonight for some reason. I'm more than sure that the lines will open right up now that we got fucking video game talk, as usual. First off, Namco released their financial report for the quarter ending June 30th. Seems that Tekken 6 is responsible for their huge boost in sales. Tekken 6 sold 1 million units worldwide. Tyco Drum Master sold 170,000 units at a distant second place, while Ben 10 Alien Force and Super Robot Tyson OG Saga, holy shit, that's a long name, both sold about 110,000 units each. Namco Bandai is aware that its lesser-known titles have struggled in the market, but despite this, they hope to increase their worldwide market share. Got to give credit to 1UP for that. First off, Tekken 6, great game. Definitely did not like the story mode. Definitely did not like fucking Lars and his emo hairdo and the fact that he's like Jin's sister's nephew's cousin's mother's brother fucking stupid. It's like, yeah, let's throw another Mishima in there. Everybody will fucking love that. Why can't they just stick to a, a, a decent storyline? You know, Jin taking over the fucking world, organizing it in his own tournament, perfectly fine. Oh, no, we gotta fucking have, you know, Jin's nephew's mother's brother's sister's fucking next-door neighbor who's a Bible salesman as your main character. Really? Who gives a shit? Must you... Why... Look. Tekken is very easy concept. King of the Iron Fist tournament. Hosted by Evil Corporation. You fight the head of the corporation. Hilarity ensues. You add a couple of unique characters in there. Maybe a bear or two. Maybe a fighting penguin. Maybe a panda. I don't know. Kangaroo. Dinosaur. Fucking porcupine. Kumquat with fists. Who knows? Let's just throw anything in there. It just goes back to when fucking they had gone in there or whatever the fuck it was, that little fucking T-Rex, that little orange piece of shit that he would fucking just whoop everyone's ass and then they had the volleyball game in there too. Namco, I like your fighting games. They're cool. But really, uh, Mishima fucking stepbrother, cousin, don't know that he's related to them type shit. Must you go that route? Must it be just watered-down bullshit where you got Kuma and Panda and Roger and fucking Bob and fucking the fat guy with the suspenders and Hannah Williams, Nina Williams, fucking the guy that sells OxyClean? It, it, look, stop adding so many fucking characters and focus on building a solid storyline. Nobody gives a shit about half of them. The ones that are already there and the staple characters are the ones that are going to get used the most anyway. Really, you have to add another fat guy in there? Or Jack number 27? Ugh, it's ridiculous. 
It really is. I, I like Tekken. I like what Tekken offers. I just don't like how many useless characters there are in there. The core characters are great. I mean, you want to add Roger in there for comic relief or Kuma slash Panda. Okay, that's fine. But then when you add fucking Dr. Baskanovich's fucking cyborg daughter who flings her head at you, the bitch takes off her head and throws it at you. Why? Why is that? Why is it fucking... I got a chainsaw for an arm out of nowhere. I have a little anime schoolgirl dress and rockets fly out of my vagina. Like, really, like, that's the kind of shit that they're putting in these games. Ugh. Nice. Heartless in the chat puts fighting games are 99% storyline, 1% gameplay. You know, as fucking sarcastic as that is, you got to look at it like this. Sure, they're not heavy on storyline, but when you get into the utter ridiculousness of Tekken 6, where your main character through that story is a guy who popped up out of nowhere, who has zero backstory in the Tekken universe, and he's your main character, it's absurd. It is absurd. I can understand if you played through story mode with Jin or with Kazuya or Heihachi or Mike Martial Law, Paul Phoenix, anybody. But not random emo hairdo guy number six. It's fucking stupid. All right. It is what it is. 107 units. Next, next up, Tekken versus Tekken X Street Fighter and Street Fighter X Tekken. Maybe then they won't add any stupid characters. But you know what? Maybe in the Namco version, they'll add a fucking fighting beaver. Maybe they'll do that. It'll be a fighting beaver. And, of course, the character that he'll feud with is going to be Dan. Because why wouldn't they? It'll be Dan versus the fighting beaver. Because that's what Namco is in the mood to do. They want to be the different fighting game company. <sighs> Just absurd. Anyway, in some Epic Mickey news, the, the odds of Epic Mickey's exclusivity being on the Wii? Slowly disappearing. You may actually see it on the 360 and the PS3. When questioned about it by lead designer Warren Spector, he said the following in talking to Atomic Gamer. When asked about seeing the, play, the game on the PlayStation 3 and the 360, he said, Before the move and the Kinect, I probably would have said no, because the game is built around gesturing. Now, however, there's no reason technologically why we wouldn't, but that decision is really above my pay grade, and no one's asked me for a port. Spectre went on to restate that sure, it could happen, but is happy that it's currently a Wii exclusive. I've been a Nintendo fan, well, as not as long as I've been a Disney fan, but a long time. And I've been pretty open about the fact that the Zelda games are some of my favorite games of all time. So we're a Wii exclusive, and I'm happy about that. You know, while I admire the fact that they're trying to keep Epic Mickey in, in, in the Wii exclusive realm, you really have to look at it also from a, from a graphics capability standpoint. And while I do feel that Epic Mickey is maximizing the Wii in terms of power and visuals, I think that that game would look 10 times better in 1080p. Not to mention the fact that there is some relevance to the fact that now that you got the Kinect and the Move, why can you not play the games on those consoles? Why just limit yourself to one revenue stream when you can make three times as much money by making it a multi-platform title? I have a feeling that the Wii exclusivity window will be short-lived and we will see it on the other two consoles 
probably after the Connect and the move are released. And I'm more than sure one of those two is not going to make it. Which one? Definitely in the consumer's hands. But I see the Connect being the more tangible system in regards to uh, complete full-body interactivity. But the move in terms of cost, a little substantially cheaper. So it should be interesting to see how that plays out in the coming months for sure. I definitely would. am going to get Epic Mickey. It looks like a very promising game. Um, get it on the Wii, of course, because obviously that's the only game in town. And not only that, but the Wii's been collecting a little bit of dust lately, so why not blow some of that dust off and play Epic Mickey and Metroid Other M, amongst other titles. So definitely going to keep an eye out on that for sure. Activision looks like it's joining the ranks of other video game publishers that are working to combat the used game market. Uh, Chief Operating Officer Thomas Tipple said on the company's investors' call last week, we're still evaluating various possibilities for greater participation in the used games business. We've been working the best so far at providing additional content and therefore limiting the supply to used games. So that's a proven strategy that we will continue. And any other initiatives we will be talking about as we get closer to them. Tipple mentioned that downloadable content for games like Call of Duty may expand to include more than just additional maps. Tipple explains today we have more resources than ever dedicated to creating additional content for Call of Duty, whether that's map packs, whether that's game modes, and a whole host of new downloadable features that we're going to talk about as we get closer to Black Ops. Now you have to ask yourself, would you rather save a few bucks and then decide to pay for the extra downloadable content or pay the full price and get the downloadable content for free. Me, personally, I think that game publishers are definitely getting tired of GameStop raping and pillaging the used revenue stream because at the end of the day, they don't see any residuals from that. When they sell you the game brand new, the publisher makes the money, but on a used scale, that's all GameStop pocketing that money. And I think the publishers are just getting tired of being stiffed on the used game market. So it should be interesting to see how that pans out in the coming weeks. I'm, of, I'm definitely of mixed opinions in regards to that, just because on some respects I understand the publishers wanting to get paid because there's money going into the creation of the game and production of the game and yada, yada, yada. On the flip side, it definitely is going to be a hindrance to gamers as well that they're going to be getting crippled games and they're going to either have to pay more for downloadable content or they're going to have to play for certain modes to be open in the game, that actually may be a hindrance as well. It's just a matter of public opinion. Like I said, I'm kind of split on it. I think that on one side, I'd like to see the publishers get some money. On the other, it really sucks that the consumer is going to have to pay a little extra money to get added gameplay modes, especially in terms of online gameplay, for, for, especially for a game like Call of Duty. But again... This isn't 100%. It's happened thus far with UFC Undisputed. I got bitten in the ass in regards to that. And it happened with the Tiger Woods game. I haven't really heard anything negative or overly positive in regards to whether it's good or bad for the industry. So I'm maybe going to have to start talking to a couple of people that play these games and see if they really have been impacted in any shape, way, or form. If any of you guys have been going through that or you guys have played Tiger Woods and had to play for any extra... Um, enhancements based on EA's new strategy, definitely would like to hear from you. You can email me about it at mtrhost at gmail.com or call into the show 
and share your thoughts on that as well, just because I'm definitely interested to hear from the listeners if they actually feel that that's good or bad. Either way, I'd definitely love to hear from you in regards to that, because that's a very, very sensitive topic. Some people feel that they're, they shouldn't have to pay, if they've already paid GameStop money for the game, then they shouldn't have to fucking pay extra for the functionality since they've paid, since they've paid for it once. I don't know, man. It's Like I said, it's definitely a, a slippery slope in regards to that. Oh, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood is next with the jumping on the Collector's Edition bandwagon. The Collector's Edition for Assassin's Creed Brotherhood does just that. For $100, you get either a jack-in-the-box of a Harlequin from GameStop or a Doctor from other retailers. Along with this, you get an art book, two exclusive game maps, and a disc with a making-of video, trailers, soundtrack, and a look at the comic book, as well as a hard copy map of Rome. So let me get this straight. You're paying $100 for a fucking jack-in-the-box. That's what you're doing. You're laying out 100 bucks, 100 bucks for a jack-in-the-box, an art book, and some trailers, and the soundtrack. Really? Ugh. You know what it is? I don't mind exclusive collector's editions when they provide something far more cool like a, like, a, like a bigger statue, something that, you know, you can display proudly. It's a fucking jack-in-the-box. You're, listen to me. You're paying $100 for a fucking jack-in-the-box. Are they crazy? Are the makers of Assassin's Creed fucking nuts? You're getting a jack-in-the-box. How about you give the jack-in-the-box when you pre-order the fucking game? It's, it's stupid. It is beyond stupid. Oh, don't even get me started on the Master Chief helmet. I'm glad you mentioned that. I was one of the fucking morons that thought it would be so cool to buy the Master Chief helmet when it came out because I thought it would look nice as a, as a display piece on my shelf. Fucking bullshit. Not to mention that a year later, you can buy the helmet, the game with the helmet for 60 bucks versus the 129 or the 130 that they were charging at the time. Totally fucking stupid on my part. That's what fucking soured my opinion on Collector's Edition anything. Because it's stupid. If you bought Batman Arkham Asylum the Collector's Edition, you got a giant fucking plastic batarang. Oh, it was so awesome. If you ask Slick, he'll tell you how truly awesome it was. Translation, it wasn't. Nonetheless, $100 for a fucking jack-in-the-box is definitely not the move. In other words, here's a very interesting number. According to the study from the Entertainment Software Association, the industry has contributed the video game industry has contributed almost five billion dollars to the economy in 2009. Also, between 2005 and 2009, the industry has had an annual growth of over 10 percent, which is more than seven times the U.S. seven times the U.S. economy's growth rate. Also in the report is that the industry employs 32,000 people directly and 120,000 people indirectly. That number has increased by 9% in the last five years. The average income for these employees is $89,781. Fuck, am I in the wrong line of work. Despite the, despite the challenging economic environment, the entertainment software industry continues to grow and create new jobs at a rapid pace, said ESA CEO Michael Gallagher. 
computer and video game companies have made an important contribution to our nation's economy while stimulating technological innovations and expanding the impact of games on our daily lives. You know, it's really crazy that our, our job market is shit, our economy is shit, yet the game industry has contributed $5 billion to the economy. $5 billion you know, of which has probably been used to, to bail out banks and car companies and all that bullshit. It's crazy that, you know, uh, 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 such a niche market geared towards, you know, nerds and geeks can, can generate $5 billion in revenue. Uh, I'm more than sure that the government's going to find a way to get a piece of that pie because $5 billion is a shit ton of money for sure, but definitely a nice nice nugget of information there in regards to that, that they can crank out $5 billion in 2009 and help the economy. Well, Netflix, movies, Gamefly, games. As of earlier this week, Blockbuster is letting you get both. The company has added game rentals to its buy mail service for no extra cost. Starting this, well, starting this week, subscribers can choose from over 3,000 titles for the PlayStation 2 and 3, Xbox, Xbox 360, and the Wii. Memberships start at $8.99 for unlimited rentals. Now, you've got to ask yourself, would you switch from Netflix and or Gamefly to Blockbuster to get the games included in your queue? doesn't really matter. Blockbuster's fucking a shitty company, and they're on the way out. I like Gamefly's model. I like Netflix's model. And not for nothing, Blockbuster's really late into the game. This is something that they should have been doing ages ago. And now, of course, they're late to the party, trying to save their own skin and failing miserably. But on the same token, it is a savings for gamers in terms of paying one rental fee and renting both movies and games. But wishful thinking, Netflix buys Gamefly at some point, and it becomes one company, and we can enjoy that same benefit as well. Until then, you can definitely look up Blockbuster. Memberships start at $8.99, and you can rent movies and video games. LucasArts is reporting that Star Wars The Force Unleashed 2 is being canceled for the PSP. You can obviously hear the crickets chirping because no one truly gives a shit. The PSP version was originally supposed to be shipped out with its DS, iPhone, PC, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and Wii counterparts on October 25th in North America. LucasArts declined to comment on the cancellation. All of the other mentioned versions of the games are still being developed. What may have contributed to the cancellation of the game may have been the low review scores and that PSP versions of console games are usually abbreviated or compromised in, in terms of content. It would be that quality and content were the factors leading to cancellation. Got to give credit to 1UP.com for that as well. First off, who really gives a fuck about the PSP anymore? I, it, it, it's really shitty of me to say, but nobody really gives a fuck about it. The only time the PSP has become relevant is this week, and that's because there are rumors going about that Sony is going to be working with Ericsson and with Google to release an Android PSP phone and game system, which will allow you to accept phone calls and play games, plus use the Android operating system to do everything else. Once again, you motherfuckers are late. The PSP Go would have been perfect for that. But no, let's put out the PSP Go, 
charge a shitload of money for it, and no one buys it. If you go online, you're probably going to see some mock-ups of what the system is allegedly going to look like. Again, this is rumors thus far. It, it does look promising, but again, you guys are coming into the dance way too late. What do you want to do? Compete against the iPhone because the iPhone is going to solidify itself or the, I, the iPad or the iPod and looking to take the number two spot in terms of portable gaming. Oh, nice of you fucks at Sony to wake up now and decide to put together a strategy to combat that. You motherfuckers are late. You guys are so late because games continuously keep coming out on all these platforms, on all the iPlatforms. You know, the iPad has some really cool games on it. So does the iPod. So does the iPhone, for that matter. All the games are seamless and can be played in either medium. And Sony all of a sudden, oh, no, we're about to be number three. Nice of you motherfuckers to wake up and figure that out. A little late, don't you think? I applaud them for definitely working with Google. I've been using the Android operating system with the new Android phone I have. A little bit of a learning curve. Definitely like the openness of the software and some of the applications you can add. But, again, I think that it's a little too little too late on Sony's behalf, but you never know. They could come out with a real kick-ass piece of technology and keep themselves at least, at least holding on to the number two spot. They're not dethroning the Nintendo DS anytime soon. That's for sure. So I can really say that they're, they want to keep themselves positioned at number two, and that's what they're striving for. Let me just look at this chat. Heartless says those are some shitty touch games. Sony has a joypad. I sincerely hope you're trolling Heartless just because of the fact that there are some really cool games on the iPod that, you know, don't get me wrong. They're short and to the point, but the control scheme is pretty good. Fucking Street Fighter on the iPhone is pretty solid. And, and, I, and even I have to admit that. How the fuck is Street Fighter on the iPhone and not on the PSP? How, how is Street Fighter on the fucking DS, on the 3DS, when it comes out, and not on the PSP? Obviously, nobody has faith in that piece of fucking hardware. Yeah, side-scrollers on an iPod, but they usually have a virtual D-pad on the bottom. Again, I understand where you're coming from. You know, there's definitely a prejudice in terms of iPod gaming, but I just feel that Sony all of a sudden wants to jump on the whole Android, iPhone fucking bandwagon. They want to suck on the Android dick. It, it's absurd. It's, a, again, too late in the game. But I'm, I'm, I'm holding out a little bit of hope that the technology meshes well together and gives people an alternative to the DS and gives people not only that, some kick-ass games. That's another thing, too. You have a portable, a portable console whose games, you get one or two first-party games that are good, and then you don't hear anything. You don't even see that many PSP commercials. I remember I saw the Marcus PSP commercial maybe once or twice, but you don't really see any. They don't push the games. You got God of War Ghost of Sparta coming out. Does anybody even give a fuck? Ugh. Fucking Sony, man. Always late to the fucking party. Valve and PopCap have announced a Game of the Year edition for Plants vs. Zombies available via Steam. The Game of the Year edition includes Steam Cloud support, which allows players to save settings and retrieve them from any computer, 
and, introduce, and introduces the Zombatar, letting gamers add their own custom zombie creations directly into the game. That's fucking cool. You can create your own zombies. Delivering Plants vs. Zombies via Steam help us reach a tremendous audience for the game, said Ron Powers, VP of Product Management at PopCap. Adding Steam Cloud functionality to the game allows us to increase the value of the title to existing and new customers. In addition, with the title support Steam Play for cross-platform play, it seemed the timing was perfect for adding Steam Cloud support. Those of you who already bought the PC version of Plants vs. Zombies will be able to download Steam Cloud as a free update, and you can play the game on any Mac computer via Steam Play. New purchasers will enjoy all of the above features and functionality immediately. So definitely cool. I'm actually looking forward to Plants vs. Zombies on Xbox Live for sure. I can't wait for that shit to come out because it definitely is an addicting and kick-ass game. So if you like Plants vs. Zombies, definitely keep an eye out for the Xbox Live release, which I believe is in the middle of September. For those of you that are still playing Borderlands, which I'm more than sure is quite a few of you, they actually have a new piece of downloadable content announced, and it's called clap traps. There's definitely, hopefully, some medication for that for anybody who suffers from clap traps. No, I'm kidding. Uh, clap traps new robot revolution is the new content that's coming out, and it's going to have Vault Hunters helping the Hyperion Corporation try to quell the clap trap uprising, being led by the ninja assassin clap trap. The content will include new boss battles and new enemies, including homicidal clap traps. That just sounds like a really bad disease. And Hyperion soldiers. Creatures seen in the game before have been clap-trapified as well, such as crab traps, rack traps, and skag traps. <laughs> Holy shit. Ten new skill points can be gotten in the content, and three backpack slots can be found as well. According to Kotaku, the new skill points will not come from new levels. According to Gearbox president Randy Pitchford, this is because many players still haven't reached the newest cap. No level cap increase with this one as the vast majority of our customers still need to reach the previous cap. The most hardcore that are already there will find tons of new content. Players that haven't capped will find lots of paths to reach the cap with this downloadable content. The content will be available in September for the 360, PlayStation 3, and PC. It's going to run you 800 Microsoft points or 999. In some other fucking exclusive news, those of you that buy the new upcoming GoldenEye title for the Wii will get a gold-colored classic controller. No price has been announced for the classic edition, but the last game which had the classic controller was Monster Hunter, and that was around 60 bucks. It's looking more and more likely that you'll be able to get GoldenEye with a golden controller for the same price. In addition to the Wii Remote and the Nunchuck, GoldenEye will also support the Wii Zapper for point-and-shoot gamers, giving gamers several ways to experience GoldenEye on the Wii, said Activision's David Pokris. We also couldn't pass up the opportunity to play homage to the Golden Gun with the classic Gold con Classic Controller Pro, which looks cool and also gives shooter fans a familiar control scheme to use as they blast their way through the game. <sighs> yeah, GoldenEye Remake. Yeah, GoldenEye Controller. Color me shocked. Ooh, it's gold. whoop the fucking do Eh, I'm more than sure that if Nintendo had a better fucking online gameplay, uh, had a better online gameplay medium, I'd be a little bit more excited. But I have to give them my friends code, my game code, my zip code in order to play multiplayer. 
I'll just fucking buy the game, play the single-player campaign, get the golden gun, shoot some Russians, and call it a day. According to Engadget, and this kind of leans a little bit on the tech news, the previously revealed Apple TV, which was supposed to be coming out later on this year, has undergone some changes. The new Apple TV, which will probably be named, renamed iTV, will no longer be supporting 1080p, but instead is going to pump out 720p resolution video only. On the plus side, the device will supposedly get its own app store and could play back full HD video. The, the problem is a lot of broadcasts are still in 720p. It's not the biggest deal in the world, but you're releasing a new piece of technology and you're removing 1080p functionality. Oh, but you're getting an app store. Furthermore, the device will be getting apps and presumably an app store, like I said, with some of its own applications. But look, what applications can possibly enhance the functionality of the Apple TV any more than any other applications out there? What are you going to add? Netflix streaming, Hulu Plus? Come on, Apple. I know you guys love to put out shit that's already been released and put a pretty coating on it and make people buy it, but... You're, you're not giving people any incentive, not to mention that you're removing 1080p support. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, most broadcast 720p. But, hey, new TVs, 1080p. Wake the fuck up, folks. I really want to know what's happening with Apple and their fucking quality control and who's coming up with some of these harebrained ideas because the fact is the shitty antenna on the iPhone 4, doing this shit with the Apple TV, I got a better idea. Why don't you take the Mac Mini, make that a home theater PC, put the Apple TV functionality in there, allow you to surf the web, use it as a PC, give it a fucking app store, and call it a day. I have a Mac Mini. You know what I use it for? Media Center Television. It's that simple. And then you can use the iPad as a remote for the Mac Mini, and you can do touchscreen fucking remote shit with it. Why don't you just do that? Oh, no, we've got to put on another piece of technology so that you can interface it with all your existing Apple shit. Oh, we've got to give you an app store, too, so you can buy a fart app for your television. Ugh. God damn it, Apple. Why do you guys fucking... You come out with such cool shit, and then you come out with real dumb shit to go along with it. Ah, uh, it gives me a fucking headache. Well... It seems that this is the episode where I get to talk about lots of fucking collector's editions. It seems that Treyarch hopes that fans of Call of Duty who love the night vision goggles included with the last game are going to enjoy the RC surveillance car. Activision announced that the hardened and prestige editions of Call of Duty Black Ops will include an RC car. This vehicle can transmit color video and audio up to 200 feet away. No word on the pricing yet, but the last Prestige Edition was $149. So get, let me get this straight. Last time you paid to get night vision goggles, and everybody jizzed in their pants about it. Now you get a little radio-controlled surveillance car, which they sell at Toys R Us already, and it's like 30 bucks. And you know what the worst part is? Some asshole... Some fucking dim bulb, some fuck, some stupid dick is going to go and pay $149. And he's going to go, but dude, you get an RC surveillance car. 
And that guy's going to have to get kicked in the nuts. Really? This is what it's come to? A jack-in-the-box for Assassin's Creed and a remote control car for Call of Duty Black Ops. That's your exclusive content, folks. That's what $149 gets you. For those of you that haven't picked up Battlefield Bad Company 2, don't pick it up just yet because a new Ultimate Edition is going to be coming out via Amazon, and you're going to get the following. You're going to get an Onslaught downloadable content included. You're also going to get a VIP code and limited edition bonuses, bonuses which are going to let you use some weapons early. The content is also going to come with the downloadable content titled Battlefield 1943. Allegedly, according to Amazon, this particular version is going to be coming out August 31st, so keep your eyes peeled for that as well. 2K Games, of course, announced this week, brand new Bioshock game. Under development at Irrational Games, Bioshock Infinite is poised to be the next installment in the popular first-person shooter. Set in 1912, Bioshock Infinite will take players beyond the clouds and into Columbia, a floating city in the sky. The city was constructed as a symbol of American ideals at a time when the United States was emerging as a world power. Columbia would navigate the skies and distant shores around the world. But something has gone wrong. Of course it has. The city has disappeared and no one can seem to find it. In order to uncover the mystery of Columbia, players will take on the role of former Pinkerton agent Booker DeWitt, who is sent to the lost city to rescue Elizabeth, a young woman imprisoned in the Columbia since childhood. Together, DeWitt and Elizabeth will have to work together if they plan to escape from the city alive. Bioshock Infinite, currently in development for the 360, PS3, and games for Windows, is scheduled for release in 2012. I will actually be putting up the trailer for Bioshock Infinite, after tonight's broadcast, so definitely stay tuned to MyTakeRadio.com if you haven't seen the trailer already. You know, I tried playing the Bioshock games. I just couldn't get into them. They're fun, and they were kind of cool, but it just, I don't know. I think, I think it was just like the retro, and here we have the future type of shit. I really, I don't know if I was a fan of that shit. It was, it was kind of cool, but not cool enough to keep me around. It's like... And here we are, Doris. Here we are. Oh, my God. Don't, don't shoot me. Here we are in the future. 1912. Ugh. Just, I just couldn't get into it. Some people swear that that game is the fucking truth. But it just, it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't grasp me like, like most other games. I mean, I'm just fucking weird then because some people are like, oh, it's fucking awesome, man. I don't know why you don't like. Just not my thing. It's like Red Dead Redemption. I don't like Western. I'm not big on Western anything. So to buy a fucking game where I have to rustle cattle and shit and ride horses and have a partner and, nope, not my speed. Am I going to play it at some point? Yeah, probably. Am I going to plunk down $60 to buy it? Nope. Just don't see myself doing it. It's like Madden came out this week. Oh, look, it's Ant in the chat. What's going on, Ant? Madden, same shit. Came out the 10th, everybody, oh, yeah, man, I got to go get that Madden, yo. I got to go and get my franchise together. Oh, fuck you. Fuck you and your Madden. It, it's ridiculous. It, it's like every year Madden comes out, they add one or two things. Oh, look, a quarterback cone. Oh, look, intelligent gameplay. Oh, look, Gus Johnson is doing commentary. Nothing truly innovative has come out of Madden in a long time. It's a glorified roster update. It really is. Anybody that begs to differ 
needs to really give me at least 10 things that have revolutionized Madden in the last five years. 10 at minimum. 10. Because it's the same shit. I played the demo. I downloaded the demo. I'm like, hey, let me download the demo and see. You know, it's fucking free. Who cares? I'm playing it. I'm like, same shit as always. Graphics look a little prettier. Eli Manning, um, Peyton Manning still looks like a horse. I don't know. Just Again, I'm actually looking forward to the NBA 2K game to play as Michael Jordan. Why? I don't know. Ugh. Ridiculous. Re-fucking-diculous. On the bright side, I got some MPD numbers for this week. Let's talk hardware first. For the month of July, the number one selling hardware console, Xbox 360, 443,000 units. Number two selling console, Nintendo DS. 398,400 units. What's number three, folks? PlayStation 3 or the Wii or the PSP? Any ideas? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Nope. It's not the PlayStation 3. It is the Wii. 253,900 console, Wii consoles have been sold. Now, again, how the fuck is your portable console outselling your, your, your home console. I just don't understand that. I mean, the DS gets good games and all, but is it basically because the Wii hasn't gotten any good titles in a while? Is it because people are tired of the means? Or has Wii Fit lost its luster? Like, holy shit, man, that's a huge margin that the DS at 398000 has outsold the Wii by that huge of a margin. Number four is the PlayStation 3 with 214,500, and the PSP has a nice paltry 84,000. So there you go. I have a feeling that the Xbox 360, part of the reason it's selling so much is because of the Xbox 360 Slim. That remains to be seen. I mean, I bought one. You know, I got one for my birthday. It's a, it's a nice little upgrade for sure. But still, the DS outselling the Wii... Ugh. Now let's talk some software. Number one best-selling game, not Red Dead Redemption. Oh, no. Number one best-selling game was NCAA football for the 360. 368,000 copies. NCAA football for the PS3, 298,800. Fuck, a lot of people love college ball. Crackdown 2 was number 3, 208,800. Super Mario Galaxy number 2 just won't die. 193,000 units. Lego Harry Potter years 1 through 4 on the DS sold 141,700, outselling Red Dead Redemption, outselling Lego Harry Potter for the Wii at number 7, outselling Dragon Quest 9 at number 8 outselling New Super Mario Brothers at number 9, and Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 on the 360 as well. Really crazy to see that. Really crazy that fucking Super Mario Galaxy 2 is still selling. How is that possible? Fucking, how is Super Mario Galaxy 2 the oldest fucking game and it's still up there kicking ass? Crackdown 2 definitely props to them for at least cracking the top five and being the third most purchased game for the month of July. Well, definitely strange to see these numbers. I'm more than sure when I discuss MPD numbers for August, the number one selling game will be Madden. 
Will be will we be surprised? Probably not. I'm going to take a commercial break. We're going to talk some movies right after this. BornSouthern.com Extremely short commercial. We now return to your regular schedule program, My Take Radio. Rich, take it away. All right, and we're back. Let's talk some movies. First off, all signs seem to be pointing to the fact that Saw 3D, which is supposed to be the last Saw film, isn't. How about that? It's really fucking insane, and I think someone's on hold on the switchboard. Let's see who it is. Caller, you're on the air. Yo, it's Ant. What's going on, Ant? What do you got for the show this evening? NC friggin' double A? Are you serious? Yes, sir. The 368,000 copies that I'm staring at on my screen do not lie. Oh, my God. It's not even March Madness anymore. It's way past that. What do people care about that shit? I mean, I understand that basketball is a big, a big, huge sport, and college gets a lot of support. But, like, why now? Football, and not basketball, but football. Oh, shit, football, right. Right, I'm here, I'm I'm freaking ass backwards. But anyway, all right, now, I understand sports games are big for, 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 for like, frat houses and college kids and parties and having your friends over to, to play whatever sports game you're interested in. But, like, just outsell pretty much everything. Like, I, maybe I'm not understanding correctly. What exactly did it get number one for? Because I didn't hear that part. Well, here's the crazy thing. It just got, it got number one and the number two slot, the 360 version with the 368 and the PS3 version with the 298. I mean, the college ball games are a little bit more enjoyable. They're a little more fast-paced, and it just seems, I guess, that a lot of people are into college ball. Yeah, but, like, what did it, what did it outsell everything in? Like, what category? Because I didn't hear that. It doesn't. The MPD numbers I got don't list it by category. They just list it by units sold. Oh, so overall for the for the last month, okay. Still, like, I don't really get. No, go ahead. No, what I was what I was gonna say is overall the one and two spots were captured by the same fucking game on two consoles. That's the overall. <laughs> uh, I've seen that happen a lot. Like just having having a multi uh, yeah multi platform game take one, two, and possibly three, depending on if the Wii version of a certain game would would have sold well. But it's like just the fact that. There's been a lot of games coming out recently, and I don't know. I mean, college ball gets a crowd, but I don't, I don't see how it would get the crowd as widely as, like, any violent game that's been released lately. Well, Crackdown 2, which I know you've been playing with Slick, cracked into the number three spot at 208,800, which is pretty solid. You've got to look at it like this. Usually the summer is a pretty dry period in terms of good games coming out. I mean, yeah, Crackdown 2 came out. And it was, it was pretty solid. Red Dead Redemption, of course, and, you know, Dragon Quest. But in terms of the summer, the summer usually belongs to the sports games because that was when they churn them out just to get people hyped up for the upcoming football season. Like I said, when I discuss MPD numbers for August, I guarantee you Madden will probably be one and two again. Oh, yeah, I totally forgot about Madden since that just released. It's probably going gonna to take down one, two, and... Maybe three, if anyone really wants to play a handheld version of that. Well, looking at it like this, being, being that you're playing Crackdown 2, 
do, and I've been hearing this a lot. A lot of people have been apprehensive about Crackdown 2 just because it's Crackdown 1 all over again. And people seem to be saying it like that's a negative. As someone who's played Crackdown 1 myself, it's not such a bad thing that Crackdown 2 is the same as 1. It was really fun gameplay. It had really great multiplayer. You know, what kind of crack are people smoking when that's their only gripe about the game? You've been playing it with Slick. What are your thoughts? Oh, well, if I'm going to get into Crackdown 2, my thoughts are that, yes, it is the same game over again, but it's also got improvements where improvements are needed. Granted that there are some improvements that still need, needed to be done, but just the fact that you have the same environment but in, an, in a kind of more dis, destroyed look. Like, it just, you go, to, you go to certain areas and over and over again, me and Slick are, like, mentioning what we did in Crackdown 1 in this area and how it's different now. And you go through that, that whole, like, experience of, all right, I've been here. I know what happened here, and now it's different. And now I've got 10,000 zombies attacking me at one time, and I've got to call my friends in to help me. So it's definitely got that whole kind of social aspect where if your friends are playing it, you need to have your friends with you to, to really get the enjoyment out of it. So I could see why it would sell a lot to people, because, like, you play, you play alone, you get your ass beat. You tell your friend to get it. Okay, your friend gets it. Now you have another person buying the game, and you have a slightly better chance of beating it. Then you tell them, okay, I need some, one more person to beat this, this one location, because me and Slick are having a problem right now as it is, just me and him playing it to beat one location. So it's like, yeah, if we can get more people to buy the game, then it'd be, it'd be more fun. So I'm, I'm, I'm seeing now that it's sold number three, but where are all my friends that are supposed to have this game? Like, I wish that everyone else would buy it, man. Well, you know what the worst part is? I've I really been trying to pick it up, and, you know, I want to pick up Scott Pilgrim, dude, but it's just... This the the show is becoming an extra full time job, and it's really fucking me up. Um, while I have you on, for those of you that didn't get to catch the show last week, myself, Slick, and also and probably one other person are going to be doing. Uh, this a new is Ant. No, well I know that. I'm just letting the, the listeners. <laughs> um, um, we're going to be doing uh, the Minority Movie Report every week. We're going to do a we're going to watch a certain movie, whether via Xbox Live or Netflix. At which point, after we watch the movie, we're going to do a quick audio review, typical My Take Radio style, vulgar, awful, fucking just typical shit that you get just from me is going to be from a group standpoint, from the other MTR staffers, allowing them also a chance to shine. And and of course, sent a list of movies which I reviewed. I'm actually going to be making a decision for what movie we're going to watch, and you'll probably get the first of those segments next week. All right. Anything else you got to add, my friend? Uh, yeah, I just want to add one thing about the Scott Pilgrim game. Like, I'm going to write up a review for it, so, but um, I'm not, I haven't beaten it yet. I'm close, though. But I'm just going to say right now that the, the just warning anybody, if you're planning on getting it to play with your friends online, it doesn't have online. So you better have some friends to help you play it at your house. And it's also an incredibly difficult game to play alone, so if you don't have someone to play with, then you might as well just not even buy the game. Like, honestly, the difficulty is that high that playing alone is just impossible after, like, the first, second, or third level. Holy shit. Yeah, it's, it's, I got to the point where I have to play the first level over and over and over again to level up to be able to even get to the second level. Jesus Christ, dude. That's yeah, and me, me and my nephew were playing it today. We got up to the, the final level. And we just have to rage quit, because, like, me and him alone, being a little overpowered, we still can't beat the game. So we need to have a third person to play with us. We don't have three controllers. That's ridiculous, dude. Yeah, so just my only warning is that have someone with you to play it. 
That's fucked up. But um, yeah. I'm probably I'm probably gonna pick it up. I I really want to pick it up on the PS3 because I mean, yeah, the, it'll come out on the 360 at some point. But the PS3 seems to be getting the most press for it, and I'm more than sure they put a lot of effort into it. Based on based on your initial gameplay, you, you know, do you feel they gave the game justice, especially since you've read all the graphic novels? Dude, there's ways, way, way a lot of e- like not Easter eggs, but there's a, there's a lot of fan service when it comes to like making it like the comic. And also making it like like a very like a very classic beat 'em up. I mean, there's been like maybe ten times within the first two two missions where I felt like I was I was playing uh, Ninja Turtles, like the original '89 game. Nice, that's a good that's yeah. A good it, has, it definitely has that feeling, especially the the whole point where when you when uh, your friend dies, you can actually give him one of your life. I was like, wow, that's definitely Ninja Turtles. That's pretty cool. my friend steal my life. That's definitely cool, man. I'm, I'm definitely going to look forward to the review, and I'm going to try and play it as well, so that way when I when I read your review, I can actually feel like I know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on that as soon as I beat the game, which might take a while because I only have one other person to play with. Sounds good. I know you're probably going to go see Scott Pilgrim this weekend, I'm sure. Sunday. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I got to try and get out there and see that shit. I, you know what it is? I, I can't be amongst the general public because I just have bits of violence. But, um, yeah, I'm more than sure you're going to enjoy it. I want to try and see that in the Expendables, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I was thinking of doing a double feature, but that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, Sit on my ass for, like, six hours straight isn't exactly what I'm maybe looking forward to. Um, one, of my, one of my coworkers described it best like this. Any theater that's playing Scott Pilgrim and the Expendables is going to be divided between emo kids with shirts and ties and jacked up guys with their girlfriends and they're all going to get into fist fights in the lobby. <laughs> That's so, a very, very good thought. And that, the worst part is that'll probably happen because, you know, you're going to see the, the dudes coming out of the expendables, yo, man, the fucking movie was awesome. And he's going to bump into, like, some little kid and the little kid's going to be like, Scott Pilgrim is great. Fuck you, man. Get out of the way. And it's just going to be them <laughs> fucking fighting in the fucking lobby. So it'll be like a little bit chicken, the most one-sided fight ever. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we'll, see. We'll, we'll see how it pans out. We'll see who's going to be number one this weekend as well. Yeah, like I said on the on the, uh, on the comment section, I was like, yeah, I could definitely see Expendables getting the weekend, but Scott Pilgrim's going to go over it because it's got, the, it's got a wider uh, wider audience to it. And it's got that family-friendly fucking rating that'll definitely allow people to take their kids to see it. Yeah, so just just turn any kind of violent action scene that, that would have blood into a classic 8-bit battle, and of course you can lower the rating and not have to take anything out. There you go. All right, dude. I mean, that's all I really got to say, so I'll let you get your show back on. All right, brother. Thanks for your call, as always. All right, man. Have a good one. Later. All right. Caller, you're on the air. How you doing tonight, man? How's it going? What's up? How do you feel about that movie, The Expendables? Do you think that's going to be worth watching? I think it'll probably be number one this weekend for sure. Nice. How do you feel about um, the direction professional wrestling is taking right now as a whole? Uh, not too bad. I mean, I mean, I went through the segment earlier, but I will answer your question. I think that overall it's it has its ups and its downs. It's I definitely am not as, as passionate of a fan as I used to be just because it's the, the product has suffered a lot and the writing has just taken a turn for the worse. But given that I grew up with it, you know, I'll maintain, I'll maintain, 
you know, my, my, my soft spot for it, you know? Yeah, I definitely understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I'm probably about the same thing. Like, I watch it now more out of um, habit rather than, rather than pleasure, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just used to watching wrestling. Like, you know, I get home about 9.30. It's so, okay, Raw's on, you know, I'm going to watch this on Raw. And I realized this today. I found some of my friends about it, actually. I noticed that um, eight, nine years ago, I used to be super pumped to watch wrestling. You know, I was excited. And now it's kind of like, um, you know, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Well, the way I see it is like this. That was one of the things, too. And then DVR didn't help the case either. Because now oh. you, used to, you used to definitely want to get in there and be like, oh, shit, you know, Stone Cold's going to come out. And you knew that you'd have to stay watching it till at least you know, 10.59 for, for something awesome to happen. Now you can watch it on Fast Forward by the time 10.59 comes around and you see whatever big payoff segment there is and then you keep it moving. Yeah, you know, like um, the, the point I realized is that uh, all that really matters is the first five minutes and the last 15. That's all that really matters on it right now. That, that, that's actually the best way to look at it, especially with, with the WWE offering. First five Last 15, that's definitely a good way to look at it. Yeah, you know, because I know they say after the, the, the last five, um, first five, last 15, everything in the middle is just, you know, it's just kind of meshed together, you know, like the undercard sucks, the mid-card sucks, and the main event's repetitive. I don't know, it just kind of um, kind of makes me sad in a way when I watch wrestling now because it's almost like a joke. You get what I'm saying? Like, it's entertainment, but it's a joke, you know? Well, how do you, in, in regards to that, if you had to choose, who do you think out of the three televised promotions from Ring of Honor, Raw, and, and well, WWE and TNA, who do you think has the, the most balanced product? Um, like as far as offering something for everybody or offering um, pure wrestling? I'd say more so from a pure wrestling standpoint because that's what you really tune in for. Anybody can do a backstage skit and make it remotely funny. Oh, okay. you mean from a pure wrestling standpoint, Ring of Honor by by, by far, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, if I want to watch wrestling, I'm not going to put in anything from the last five years on television. You know what I'm saying? I remember, like, um, a while back I was watching, like, a bunch of old wrestling videos. You know, I was watching, like, um, a bunch of Goldberg matches, some Sting matches, some old-school Triple H matches, and I'm really pumped up for what I'm watching. And then I get around 2004, and then I'm like, huh. The match quality started changing. You know, you stop seeing so many high spots. You stop seeing so so many high impact maneuvers, and then you start seeing guys like John Cena hold a hammerlock for literally four minutes in a match. And it's kind of like, okay, that's where they started going wrong with the matches. You know, I guess then started thinking, let's focus more on entertainment, less on wrestling. You know. Well, that's part of it, and also the fact that they really wanted to tight tighten it up, especially because they were going into HD territory. So a lot of times. At, at least before the HD days, you can kind of get away with a lot of stuff. You know, now that the clarity is so much better, you can actually sometimes, if you've got a good sound system, you can hear them calling the match. You know, like you can say, you know, you can say, yo, throw me into, you know, uh, throw them into the ropes. Like, you'll hear shit like that. So it, it's funny that you say that the, the quality has degraded. Part of it is HD. The other part, of course, is just the overall wrestling style has improved. And they just wanted to they'd strip away a lot of the stuff because they, quote, unquote, don't want the wrestlers to get hurt. But on the same token, it doesn't tell the story adequately if the match is watered down beyond fucking repair. Yeah, I definitely agree, man. I'm like, um, I see it like, on my feet for a match. And they're like, like, especially old school ECW, I'd be pumped for that, you know. And now it's like I watch wrestling now and it's kind of like, 
you know, unless like someone like R Truth or um or even the Miz who I find entertaining is wrestling. So somebody that I find entertaining is wrestling, I don't really want to watch, you know. Like um, oh, I hear you. But that's why I think it's a shame that they let go Brian Danielson because I was actually very excited when I found that he's working with Davey because I'm a big, big Brian Brian Danielson fan. And then um you know the incident happened. Of course he got released, and I think um it really hurt the company as far as uh, match quality goes because. Not a lot of guys can deliver a good match. You know, like, 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 like John Cena would deliver maybe two good matches a year, maybe, you know, that, that are, like, really good. So you're like, man, John Cena really fulfilling the line for this match. The rest of them are just, you know, peep shows with John Cena with his shirt off. You feel me? No, I, I hear you. I think it's more, it's become very formulaic. And, um, you know, I definitely understand where you're coming from. I mean, if you would have called in earlier, I definitely would have elaborated on some of the stuff that we're discussing now just because, you know, there's definitely more sides to it. The only problem is that given the fact that you're catering to a PG audience, especially from the WWE standpoint, you got to definitely do what's more kid-friendly that guarantees you more revenue. So I can kind of understand where Vince McMahon is going with it. I think he's really just trying to, to get in and get as much money as possible off of the fans and keep it moving. And at, at some point, the necessity to make new stars takes a back seat towards cashing in on the names you already got. You know, John Cena, Rey Mysterio, you know you're going to get 30 bucks for a mask every night guaranteed because he's the most popular dude. You know everybody's going to buy stupid John Cena wristbands and shitty fucking shirts. That's just the way it goes. You know, I definitely agree with you. you know, I think I also think the biggest thing is, this is my theory, if you look at wrestling in the 80s, it's very similar to how it is right now. Like, if you look at some of the stuff in the 80s, they really cater towards the kids, man. I remember I watched, um, even the early 90s, I watched an old-school WrestleMania 6 video, right? And Undertaker cuts this most, like, ridiculous comic book promo I've ever seen in my life. And I'm like, man, you know, like, this was cool back then, but it looks really childish right now. And then you compare it to, um, I mean, uh, child, not Child Girl, but um, uh, Rem Studio promo now, and it's like, it's almost kind of walking the same tightrope. Oh yeah, it's 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 plucking one guy out of it's plucking a guy out of the '90s, like I said, and putting him in now. But that's like I said, it's wrestling going through you know the high period and the low period. Right now, you're on the low period. It's not as mainstream. Not only that, you know, you got you got mixed martial arts taken off, and on top of that, the hardcore '90s wrestling fan has kind of we've all grown up. So for us, it's kind of just like an excuse to laugh and a little bit of a nostalgia trip, but it's not as hardcore as it was in the 90s. You don't see nobody walking around the streets with a fucking DX t-shirt or an old Triple H shirt. No, nobody does that shit now because people just laugh at that. Like now it's just like, ah, I watch wrestling, and it's kind of funny, and we're more critical of it because we're the generation that grew up with it and now have a voice to put an opinion out there about it. That's what's happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and remember, like, I'm... 21 years old right now, you know, so when um, when all this was going on, I was like in elementary school, you know, and of course, then it was more serious, but I remember, like, I used to get in fights in fourth grade over wrestling. It's like, what the hell did you just say? Did you just say the NWO sucks? You know, I you know, like, hey, I heard this kid talking shit about DX. What? He's talking about, about Road Dog and Michaels? You know, and now it's kind of childish. It's like, you know, you watch wrestling, that's cool, you know? I hear And I always love yeah, I don't know, it just kind of makes you feel old in a way, you know, because there's a time whenever, you know, unless it's to really get you pumped up and you're excited and, I don't know, like he said, like, yeah, like MMA, you know, like I'm a big MMA guy now, that's all I watch now. And oh, yeah, like, because like I said, it's, it's an evolution of interest. 
But um, not, not for nothing, j- just to, not to cut you off, but I just want to get into the movies. But definitely, you know, if you come in earlier, by all means, I, I, invite, I invite you to call back, man. You got some, some good views on wrestling. I appreciate it. Oh, definitely can. I'm, I stick around for the film segment, too, because I love movies, dude. All right, by by all means. I mean, if if you want to tag, you know, come back in for something, I'll hit the uh, just hit the one button for the prompt, and I'll, you know, I'll bring you back on. Oh yeah, for sure. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. All right, let's talk some movies. Saw 3D. Last few weeks, I've been discussing the fact that it was supposed to be the last Saw movie, and yada yada yada, this, that, and the third. Turns out, it's not going to be the last one. How the fuck is that? You, you've exhausted it to the point where I think this is now, what, the seventh saw? It's supposed to be in 3D. The traps come alive, blah, 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 to the end. According to cast member Betsy Russell, seems like it may not be the, the last one. She said, and I quote, Before we thought it was ending, the writers came up with an unbelievable idea for Saw 8. It's an amazing story that I would love to see. We want to end near the top with our integrity intact and not letting the characters die a slow death, so to speak. But I believe in my heart that someday, somehow, Saw 8 will happen. I think this bitch is saying that because she wants a paycheck. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I like Saw. They're great movies. They revolutionized the film genre. They created a completely new genre, or as I affectionately like to call torture porn. You know, you get movies like Hostel, Saw, Captivity, movies that ca- capitalize on shock value. They capitalize on, on fucking, on just keeping shit, you know, more visceral, more violent, because that's what works. And that's fantastic. I got no issue with that. But the fact is, you've ran the course. Fucking Jigsaw, the character, he's fucking dead. He's dead. He died like in part three. What the fuck? And then it's just like, hello, do you know why you're here? And the little fucking puppet on the bicycle, roll it, strolling on in. And do you want to play a game? You don't value your life. It's like, all right, fuck you. You're a fucking recording. You're dead. You're fucking dead. You died five movies back. No one gives a shit. Oh, look, a guillotine swinging down. It's going to cut somebody's head off if they don't fucking stick their hand in, the, in, a, in a meat grinder and chop it off. Oh, look, shock value. Let's put the meat grinder in 3D so that the meat flies onto the screen and freaks everybody out because, you know, that's what people want to see. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I think you do Saw 1, all right, made a lot of money, everybody liked it. You do 2, okay. 3, wrap it up. Make it a trilogy. No, we got to fucking go all the way to 8. To eight, it, it, it's worse than it's on Friday the 13th levels of, of, of stupidity. Just because you get more original traps and other people try and uh, continue Jigsaw's work, and while, while that gave everybody an out for, for more sequels, it really hasn't done anything to move the story along. Jig, like I said, Jigsaw died like fucking four movies back, and yet still his work isn't finished. Fuck, man, get a better planner so you can plan your shit out better. I guess you didn't plan on dying, did you? Who's going to fucking run around as the puppet in the eighth one? <sighs> I really hope Saw 3D is the last one. Just, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I like uh, Ark's rationale that they should recast Carrie Elway's 
fucking Carrie Elways should be the new Jigsaw with a prosthetic foot. It'll be Jigsaw with a limp. It'll be Jigsaw with a fucking pimp walk. And he'll be like, hello, do you know why you're here? Because we're manly men. Like, like, seriously, it's like, that's what it's, it's really gotten to the point where it's just a fucking shadow of what it used to be. Absurd. But what can you do? Here's, the, here, here's some, some really funny news. They actually put a smile on my face. Paramount has apparently slashed the $135 million budget for Mission Impossible 4 by half and has gotten Tom Cruise to agree to be paid scale, which means he'll be taking virtually no salary up front and will only be paid after the movie makes money. I guarantee you the next Mission Impossible is going to be done by Michael Bay. Because if you're doing a $70 million budget and Tom Cruise is taking a pay cut, it's going to suck. Not because Tom Cruise should get all the money, but just because $70 million budget nowadays for a big budget movie like Mission Impossible 4, unless you do some real crazy shit, it, it's, it's fucking... Look, just fucking bring in Michael Bay, blow some shit up, do a little bit of slow motion, have John Woo executive produce, have some birds fly around while shit blows up, and have Tom Cruise jump on a couch for 90 minutes and just blow shit up. It should just be him jumping on a couch on the start of the credits, rolling through the movie, jumping on said couch, saving the world, still jumping on the couch while more shit blows up, and then at the end, it was all a dream because M. Night Shyamalan helped direct it as well. Like, that, that's what it's gotten to. The fact that you're on a, on a fourth Mission Impossible and you're forcing a budget cut and a pay cut for your lead actor just shows that you don't fucking believe in the project. If you can't invest $135 million into a movie that you know is going to be successful, then what's the sense of fucking making it? Because what will happen is you'll make the movie on a $70 million budget, it'll fucking tank, excuse me, it'll tank, and then Tom Cruise will be like, well, the movie wasn't successful because we didn't really have the ample budget to allow for some of the more deeper plot details. Because, you know, Tom Cruise is going to blame everything on fucking pills, and he's going to say that Scientology, if they would have fucking made Tom, you know, Ethan Hunt a Scientologist, the movie would have been successful. You know, typical fucking Hollywood bullshit. Mission Impossible 3 was passable. You know, fucking Tom Cruise did a good job and it was kind of decent, leave it at that. Let it die at three. That's all. Keep it a nice little trilogy wrapped in a bow. No, we got to do a fourth one because we got nothing better to do. Well, we got to talk some comic news. Ryan Reynolds, of course. Green Lantern, right? Deadpool, supposedly. Ha-ha. Gets better. Ryan Reynolds is working more comic book angles by, do by doing a production of a movie called R.I.P.D., which is adapted, of course, from a comic book. In R.I.P.D., he plays a zombie. R.I.P.D., of course, is a limited series from Dark Horse that follows two undead cops in the Rest in Peace Department, a law enforcement agency that patrols the underworld. One of them, Nick Cruz, was an officer in life and joins the, the R.I.P.D. to solve his own murder and get into heaven. McGee was originally attacked to, attached to direct. That guaranteed that the movie was going to suck. But moved on to make a romantic comedy called This Means War. Universal wants to start shooting in the winter, but Reynolds' schedule complicates the matter because of his very busy slate and early 2011 may be the only available window for the film. 
I like the concept. Sounds cool. Ryan Reynolds have no issue with the casting. Here's the interesting thing. You got Ryan Reynolds playing Green Lantern. You got Ryan Reynolds playing Deadpool. You got Ryan Reynolds playing a zombie cop, allegedly, all based off of comics. One of two things will happen. Either Ryan Reynolds isn't going to do Deadpool and stick around, because you'll understand why, or it's going to be a project that's going to be pushed down so far down the rung, because you'll love the fact that they're already working on writing the second Green Lantern film, and the first one hasn't even come out yet. How's that for fucking madness? The second one is being written, and the first hasn't come out. Warner Brothers hired Michael Goldenberg, who wrote Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, to write Green Lantern 2. And the first one hasn't come out yet. Ugh. Fucking Hollywood, yo. For every good idea, they have 27 bad ones. It gets better. Many people at Paramount are surprised that Columbia Pictures has fast-tracked Ghost Rider 2 and signed Nicolas Cage on to reprise the role. The first film is considered a critical flop and only a moderate success when its budget was considered. The reason is that they're fast-tracking the movie because the rights to the franchise are going to expire on November 14th and revert back to Marvel. This is the same thing that happened with Spider-Man. They did the really quick we got to do something fast, otherwise the rights revert back to Marvel. What is the fucking problem with Marvel getting the rights back to their character? Why? Why? Why is that it's such a fucking issue? When Spider-Man wasn't going to get made, when Spider-Man 3 wasn't going to get made, there was a huge rush to reboot the franchise, or the rights would revert back to Marvel. Why is this such a fucking problem? It's their property. If Ghost Rider went back to Marvel, who's to say that Marvel wouldn't be able to do a better job? No, we're going to do this bullshit. Oh, we're going to do a second Ghost Rider with Nicolas Cage and his fucking receding hairline as Johnny Blaze. Is he going to make weird faces at the fucking camera like he did in the first one? The only good thing about Ghost Rider in the first one was the motorcycle and the cool Ghost Rider effects. The bad guy was fucking terrible. The fucking leading lady, fucking Ava Mendez... I've seen more personality in my fucking broomstick in my bedroom. How about my, my fucking Swiffer vacuum has more personality than Ava Mendez's character did in fucking Ghost Rider? It's, it's ridiculous. Why can you not let Marvel get their characters back? What are you guys so scared of? If Marvel got the rights to Spider-Man back, you might see Spider-Man pop up in the fucking Avengers. What is so goddamn wrong with that? Somebody please tell me. I, I don't understand. You're going to actually continue to shit on another character, this time Ghost Rider, by doing a second movie to a... To a uh, you're doing a sequel to a shitty movie in the first place. Do you think anybody's going to give a fuck about a second Ghost Rider movie? No! No one gave a fuck about the first one. Holy shit. And then the fucking Spider-Man reboot, of course, you know. That's a whole other story, because they're doing all this crazy shit, and they're going to try and start it from scratch, and it might be Ultimate Spider-Man, yada, yada, yada. That's a whole bottle of rage that I can dedicate to another episode. It's, it's ridiculous. I don't understand this constant rush 
to not allow Marvel to get their characters back. They belong to Marvel in the first place. When you go to fucking buy a Ghost Rider comic book, it's not made by fucking Columbia Pictures, you fucking shit dicks in Hollywood. It's made by Marvel. What? How is this so hard to fucking understand? Fuck this, man. Fuck Hollywood and their stupid, sanctimonious bullshit. Fuck them. Fuck them all in the ass. Because it's stupid. It really is stupid. O'Malley, yeah, you have a point. They want to milk it for all it's worth and make money that, from the people that think it's decent. Okay, that, you're right. But why continue to sully characters that when the rights do revert back to Marvel and Marvel goes, oh, we're going to make a Ghost Rider picture, it's going to be met with a collective groan that nobody's going to give a shit about. No one. Everybody's going to be like, all right, another Ghost Rider, yay. Unless they do some real drastic shit, it's going to fucking suck. It is. Nicolas Cage was passable. Passable as Johnny Blaze. Passable. The bad guy sucked. The bad guy was the fucking, the nerdy kid from American Beauty that sold weed. He was your fucking bad guy. The guy who's the, who's the, the parking attendant that terrorizes the girl in P2. That fucking guy was your bad guy, him. Peter Fonda was Mephisto. The guy had a fucking hairline like a cancer victim, and he was supposed to be Mephisto. Are you kidding me? The guy who's the equivalent of Satan was played by a guy with the fucking hairline of Bob Dole? Fuck you. And fuck that shit, too. Ugh. Fucking shit. Disney Animation has reported that they will be pushing back the 3D version of three of uh, Beauty and the Beast. According to Collider, it seems that they will actually be focusing their energies on the upcoming Pixar sequels, Cars 2, which releases, which releases June 24, 2011, and Monsters, Inc. 2, which comes out November 2012. Pixar's next original film is Brave the studio's first attempt at a fairy tale, which is currently set for June 15, 2012. Disney is still going to re-release Beauty and the Beast in 3D, but no release date has been set. So there you go. More sequels from Pixar, which is just more cash and more money in their pockets. Beauty and the Beast 3D? Question mark. More comic book rape and pillaging. 20th Century Fox has picked up the rights to Nemesis, a graphic novel from Mark Miller and Steve McNiven. Tony Scott is set to direct the film while Scott Free produces. Marvel's official description of the title reads as following. As follows. Civil War nothing. Kick-ass a warm-up. What if the smartest, toughest costume badass in the world was totally evil? Meet Nemesis. He's systematically been destroying the lives of every police chief in Asia, and now he's set his sights on Washington, D.C. Between you and and me, the police don't have a chance. Do not miss the book that everyone will be talking about by the creative team that made Civil War the biggest book of the decade. Mark Miller commented on the announcement on his website saying that both him and Steve McNiven are both very excited to have the movie deal signed. Again, I have no issues with Wanted, the movie. I mean, it was passable. There were a lot of, of um, things that definitely didn't match the book. But it was a cool action flick. You know, it was a, it was a nice 90 minutes. Kick-ass, 
solid start to finish, great, uh, great representation of the comic book. I mean, Mark Miller usually does a good job if he's involved in the project. It definitely has my interest, but again, it's going to get to the point where the comic book movies are just, are just going to fucking just, just everybody's going to get sick of them. But you know what? It wouldn't be a movie segment without our patented what-the-fuck movie segment, which needs its own fucking music. I wish I had it. A Very Harold and Kumar Christmas is set to be released in 2011. Okay, Harold and Kumar, it's funny, right? It's fantastic, right? Everybody seems to get a couple of laughs, right? Here's where it goes wrong. A Very Harold and Kumar Christmas, like I said, is coming out Christmas 2011. And it will be filmed in 3D. Yeah. Harold and Kumar Christmas, 3D. Thomas Lennon, who plays a friend of Harold and Kumar in the movie, leaked the following info on the film. There's a tremendous amount of pot in the movie and a lot of nudity. Lennon added that a scene had been shot for the film involving naked showering nuns. Also confirmed for the movie is the return of Neil Patrick Harris, which should be interesting given what happened to him in the last movie. Really? Showering nuns is your big get? 3D is your other big get? Are we going to see titties in 3D? Is that it? Is that the... Is fucking John Cho's huge Asian afro going to be in 3D? How about they're going to roll a big blunt and it's going to be in 3D sticking out of the screen. And you may even smell some pot smoke. Are you fucking kidding me? I don't mind Harold and Kumar. I don't even mind the Harold and Kumar Christmas. 3D? See, this is what happens. Movies that deserve 3D and should get it are getting it. But so is every other piece of shit movie that comes out. Not to say that Harold and Kumar is a piece of shit, but the fact that you're adding 3D to make people pay an extra three or four bucks for a fucking ticket is really fucking shitty. It's terrible. It really is terrible. But you know what? It gets better. It gets better. In a recent interview, Cloverfield director Matt Reeves was asked about teaming up with J.J. Abrams for a possible sequel. Reeves said the following, It really isn't the moment for the sequel to go any further than it has, but it continues to be a priority for both of us. J.J. is very immersed in putting together Super 8. He's in pre-production and, re- and is really, really, really passionate about getting that together. I'm passionate about finishing Let Me In. Reeves went on to discuss the rumored connection between Cloverfield and Super 8. There's literally no connection whatsoever. It's just a really cool idea for a film. I know, that J- I know what J.J. Abrams is doing, and it's amazing. If you two fucks, I'm looking at you, J.J. Abrams, and you, Matt Reeves, even remotely entertain the idea of a Cloverfield fucking sequel, I am going to get in my fucking car, drive to California, and proceed to plow it through both your fucking houses. Cloverfield was full of potential, super exciting, super awesome, until I watched it. When I, have you ever watched a movie and just hoped for the cast to die at least halfway through? That's what Cloverfield was. I sincerely was hoping for the monster to completely eat everything, including the fucking credits. It would just end with, oh, my God, oh, God, oh. credits, and then more credits, 
and just white screen in 20 minutes. That's what I hoped for, because the characters just really did nothing to sell the movie. On top of the fact that the fucking, the fucking creature, you, when you got to finally see it, was bullshit. The Kraken from for fucking the new Clash of the Titans was more imposing than the monster from Cloverfield. It was a giant fucking weird... He was like a retarded Godzilla with fleas. That's what it was. It was... It was a fucking, it was fucking special ed Godzilla with, with fleas. That's what Cloverfield was. He was fucking waterhead Godzilla. That's what it was. It, ugh. Ugh. Fuck you guys. Fucking Cloverfield sequel. Are you crazy? No. Absolutely not. Let's talk some box office numbers. The other guys was number one this week. $35.6 million, dethroning Inception. In its fourth week, Inception made 18.6. Small 32% drop, $227 million on a $150, $150 million budget. Totally successful. Step Up 3D, no-brainer it was going to be in the top ten. Opened at number three with $15.5 million. Um, overall, a lower opening than the original film's 20.7 and the second film's 18.9 in 2008. So while it's off to a decent start, not the kind of start that Hollywood was hoping for. Salt dropped to number four in its third weekend with $11.1 million. It's made $92 million on a $110 million budget. Marginally successful, hasn't broken even yet. Probably in another month or so it should. Dinner for Schmucks dropped three spots to number five bringing in $10.5 million for a total gross of $46.7 million. That's a 55% drop. Film had a 60, $69 million budget. Two spots dropped to number six, Despicable Me, 9.4. Movie had a budget of $209.4 million on a $69 million budget. I bet you there'll be a Despicable Me 2 and a Minions movie also. Guarantee it. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here first. Cats and Dogs, why is this even in the top ten? Number seven, $6.9 million, $26.4 million overall, had a budget of $80, $85 million. It continues to fucking boggle my mind how a movie with fucking talking cats and talking dogs had an $85 million budget. Zac Efron's Charlie St. Cloud, a.k.a. I play baseball with my dead brother and don't get laid, Dropped 62% to $4.7 million, total gross of $23.5 million on a budget of $44 million. Toy Story 3 dropped to number 9. It's made $396.3 million, almost doubling its $200 million budget. It's number 11 on the all-time domestic gross list, just $6 million behind Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. The kids are all right, grossed 2.6 in its fifth week, in its fifth week, grabbing the number 10 spot, $14 million overall. Very successful, considering it had a $4 million budget. Gets better. Gets better. CBS Films has announced that they have acquired the rights to distribute the mechanic in the U.S. The film is directed by Simon West, who's in Con Air, and stars, of course, Jason Statham. The film is a remake of the 1972 movie starring Charles, Charles Bronson about an elite hitman that teaches his trade to an apprentice, who has a connection to one of his victims. I actually liked most of Charles Bronson's movies growing up, so I'm sure that this movie should be just as good. 
it's if you're expecting fucking four star filmmaking, don't. Jason Statham movies are a guilty pleasure. They're ninety minutes of people getting getting their asses kicked. Him probably banging at least one hot chick. There's going to be a mandatory shirtless fighting scene because it's Jason Statham and it's in his contract, and that's it. So if you go into the movie expecting 90 minutes of ass whoopings and shit getting blown up, that's what you can look forward to. Timor Bekmenenov, who did um, Wanted, is working on a couple of potential movies, the first of which is being Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. He states, this one I'm preparing to direct myself. It's not a comedy at all. It's a very entertaining, epic history lesson for millions and millions of teenagers. If you remember Nightwatch, it is maybe in the vein of that kind of a movie. When asked how Lincoln will be portrayed in the movie, he said, we are keeping the traditional look of Lincoln. The big hat and the beard, he has to be historically correct, but with a few special weapons. There is only one book, but there will be many opportunities to develop and explore this world if we get to do sequels. I hope we start it this winter. We are shooting in America. Yes, I said Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. He'll probably free some slaves, in, 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 at least in the credits. When asked about Wanted 2, he said, we're discussing Wanted 2 every month. We're working on it now, but I think it will be better after Lincoln because James McAvoy is working on X-Men First Class. It's why I decided to develop Lincoln without a studio to keep control. It's a big movie, but independent. When asked about his 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea remake, he said, yes, it's happening. We're in development with a writer and Ridley Scott's people. It's early in development, and I would like to direct that myself. It is a great tale and I love for, that I love from my childhood. It will be a modernized version of the famous book. Samurai Lincoln versus Pirate John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I swear, sometimes the chat has awesome material. Nice work, Dark Helmet. Nice work. Look, I'm not bullshitting you guys. Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter is a real book. Look it up on Amazon. I heard it was pretty decent. It's really strange, but I'm actually interested in seeing how this works. Because based on how it, the book portrays it, it looks semi-believable that it can translate to film. Again, it's Abe Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. That's all i got to say. Look for it on Amazon. With The Expendables opening this weekend, the movie's producer has already said he's interested in the sequel. Are you kidding me? It's not even out yet. <sighs> Fucking Hollywood, at it again. Abby Lerner claimed, we all want to do it. We're already working on it, and I'm ready to go. Everyone has, a, has such a great time making this. I've done over 350 movies in my life, and this is definitely the biggest. We will wait to number, till Monday to see what the numbers look like. But I'm pretty confident right now that we will be back and work is already underway on the sequel. Why not? I know everyone in this would like to do another one. Lerner added that we are about to line up some more big names this time around, and we're already thinking about who to ask. Tracking reports for this weekend's Expendables has huge levels of interest for filmgoers, as Sylvester Stallone said that he's ready to get a sequel if he can get it financed. The film is expected to open at over $30 million, and if it performs well, a sequel would definitely be an option. Look, I don't mind that you're doing the Expendables and you're digging up all these fucking action fossils from my childhood. No problem. Great. I'm sure it'll translate well to screen. Sequel? 
not so much. Who's left? Steven Seagal, Van Damme, Jeff Speakman, Billy Blanks. Uh, you know, if we're talking B-movies, those are your action guys. Costas Mandalore. Let, let's go down a list of just shitty action movie dudes. Costas Mandalore, definitely. Jeff Speakman. Um, Billy Blanks. Definitely. You can put in there. I'm more than sure that he's not that busy making Ty Bo movies to do that. Who else can we throw in there? Uh, I don't know. Fucking Jason Scott Lee. Got to throw your, your mandatory Asian in there for sure. Um, I don't know. Mario Van Peebles. While you're at it. Why don't, you, why don't you just do shit like that? Why don't you just get B-movie guys? Why don't, you dig up, why don't you dig up Rutger Hauer and throw him in there? And Billy D. Williams. Why don't you get fucking Carl Weathers? I know he's got tons of shit to do. Why don't you put him in it as well? What the fuck, man? Can't you guys just wait for the movie to open and make some money before you jump on the fucking on the cash dick and automatically say, oh, we're going to do a sequel and it's going to be fucking more awesome than the first one? Fuck. Really? Some of the, some of the, let, let me just read to you people some of the names that are being tossed in the chat. Jackie Chan, Brendan Fraser, Dave Bautista, Danny Glover, Nicolas Cage, Tom Cruise, Sam Jackson, and Betty White. Morgan, fucking Morgan Freeman. All right, I can't. If I read that, I'm just going to get fucking totally sidetracked. But it, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Just, but we got to jump back a little bit into some more what-the-fuck news. Constantine Films, a German company, is developing a 3D animated Tarzan movie. Constantine acquired the animation rights to the Tarzan novels from the estate of Edgar Rice Burroughs. The producers, Robert Kulzer and Reidhard Kloss, are currently working on 3D projects, Resident Evil Afterlife, The Three Musketeers, and the CGI Animals United. Ambient Entertainment, the animators behind Animals United, will also work on the project. Disney did the last animated Tarzan film in 1999 and has been working for years on a live-action version. Does anybody give a shit about Tarzan anymore? Anybody? <laughs> Nobody gives a shit. Fucking Tarzan. It's like, all right, you got raised by monkeys. You live in the jungle. You wear a loincloth. You got a better six-pack than most people. No one cares. You kidnap Jane, you, 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 you fuck her, the monkey watches, and the credits roll. Nobody gives a shit. Uh, once again. And, of course, it's 3D. Uh, I can't. I can't even come up with material to shit on this movie because it's utterly ridiculous. But let's congratulate the cast and crew of Kick-Ass because Kick-Ass is the number one selling Blu-ray this week. It grows $50 million domestically and $100 million worldwide. In addition to that, it is also the number one selling Blu-ray already. Number one on the Blu-ray sales chart. The Blu-ray combo pack of the film, which is three discs, including a Blu-ray, the DVD, and the digital copy, debuted at number one. In addition, the release came out of its first weekend as a top movie download on the iTunes Store, Zoom Marketplace, and the Sony PlayStation Store. So that's the largest biggest digital performance week by any Lionsgate title ever. So congratulations to the Kick-Ass crew for that. Definitely looking forward to the potential Kick-Ass sequel, which hasn't been discussed, but I know is in the back burner for sure. So 
definitely props to the cast and crew for doing such a great job and making Kick-Ass such an awesome movie. I picked it up on Blu-ray. It's a very enjoyable film. If you're a comic fan, I definitely recommend you check it out if you haven't. So. And, like I was saying, there were issues with, De- with the Deadpool movie, which, of course, Rob Liefeld, who created Deadpool, he actually made a couple of, po- of Twitter posts about it. He said Warner Brothers is just trying to protect their investment. They don't want Ryan Reynolds playing Deadpool and Green Lantern. Interesting to watch. Bottom line about the Deadpool film is that if Fox doesn't pull the Deadpool film together with Ryan Reynolds between Green Lantern films, they should Harry carry Ryan Reynolds. He puts Ryan Reynolds as the new Will Smith. If Fox can't maximize the window of opportunity with this star, this character, this script, massive fail. You know, I, I definitely can understand Rob Liefeld's frustration, especially because he created the character of Deadpool. Ryan Reynolds did a, a, definite, a definitely awesome job as Deadpool. You've got to take into consideration Green Lantern is a larger-scale character, probably going to make a lot more money than Deadpool. And Fox, really, I have, to give, I have to give the credit where credit is due. He's right. Fox does need to get their shit together in order to get this Deadpool movie done. Because, honestly, right now, I don't see another, ca- another actor in Hollywood that can capture that, that real snarkiness that the Deadpool character, you know, that Ryan Reynolds personified in Wolverine. I, I mean, there's probably an actor out there, but off the top of my head, I can't really think of one. You know, what, knowing them, they'll do something stupid and be like, oh, Deadpool's going to be played by Paul Rudd or some stupid shit like that. Because, you know, that's what Hollywood would do. They would fuck us over and do some dumb shit like that. I have, to, I have to agree. Fox needs to get their shit together, get this Deadpool project off the ground, and hope that it becomes successful so that Ryan Reynolds can actually have two franchises that he can spearhead. Otherwise, they're going to lose them to the Green Lantern movies. I like Green Lantern. Cool character. Can I watch two subsequent a movie and two subsequent sequels? No. Not yet, at least. Not until I see the first one, and if they did a good job with it, it may actually get me excited enough to look forward to a second one. Much like Batman Begins got me hyped up for The Dark Knight. But, again, they need to lock this down, and they need to lock it down quick if they want to get this Deadpool movie done. Last piece of news, Deadline is reporting that several young actors are in the, are in the lead to try and get a role in the movie Safe House opposite Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington will be playing a dangerous criminal who is being transported by a young CIA agent. Anytime Denzel Washington plays a bad guy, the movie is guaranteed to be awesome. It's just, it, it's just the way it works. Training that he was awesome. Um, shit. Fuck, the one where he played Frank Lucas. Why can I not remember it? Fucking hell. Anyway, anytime Denzel Washington played a bad guy, always awesome. Some of the actors on the running that would like to play the quote-unquote young CIA agent, the first name, not a surprise. Ryan Reynolds, Shia LaBeouf, Taylor Kitsch, Chris Pine, Sam Worthington, Garrett Hedlund, Zac Efron, Channing Tatum, Chris Hemsworth, and Jake Gyllenhaal are all in contention for this role. Because everybody knows if you do a good movie opposite Denzel Washington, it's guaranteed to be successful. Uh, the, the unfortunate thing is that most of these guys, if, if, they, if they jump into it 
and they don't have their fucking acting in order, they're just going to get beaten up by Denzel in terms of acting. I mean, in Training Day, the, um, he did such an awesome job with his larger-than-life character that the guy who played the straight man, the guy who was supposed to be the hero of the story, took a back seat. It's absurd. Ah, thank you, John. American Gangster was the movie he did. Yes. Oh, don't give me any shit. It's fucking 1.45 in the morning. Ugh. Anyway. I actually think that if you're going to do it, and you're going to cast somebody young, maybe Chris Pine out of all of these actors, Zac Efron, not so much. Zac Efron's only good at playing teary-eyed emo kids. Channing Tatum is, is way too John Cena-looking to play a fucking young CIA agent. He needs to either be dancing or fucking doing G.I. Joe. Chris Hemsworth is going to go from doing Thor to playing second banana to Denzel Washington. I don't think so. Jake Gyllenhaal, maybe. I think if I had to cast this movie, Ryan Reynolds, too much star power. I mean, the chemistry with him and Denzel Washington would be awesome. Taylor Kitsch, you played fucking Gambit in X-Men, and you did a passable job. Don't toot your own horn. Sam Worthington, poor guy's Rutger Hauer, like I like to call him. He's like the, the, the default poor action guy. Definitely not a guy I can see carrying a dramatic movie opposite Denzel Washington. Garrett Hedlund, ugh, maybe. Uh, smart Money, Chris Pine, or Hall at best. Ryan Reynolds, stop putting Ryan Reynolds in everything because he does a fucking pretty good job, and then before you know it, he, he's destined to play everything. Ryan Reynolds is Green Lantern. Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool. Ryan Reynolds was supposed to be The Flash. What's next? Ryan Reynolds as, as fucking Batman? <sighs> Leave him alone. Stop putting him in so many fucking movies. People are going to get tired of his ass. And it's going to suck. <sighs> well, I think that's enough rage for this evening. That actually wraps up the show. You've been listening to My Take Radio episode 55 for Thursday, August 12, 2010. Gotta give a couple of plugs of clothes, of course, to close it out. Razorclothing.tv, NortheastWasteland.com, the crew at BrandedBarrett.com, GoCreateGo, GiantSparrow.com, DrinkDocs.com, GirlGamer and GamingAngels.com. Trina from Gaming Angels was supposed to be my guest this week. Um, unfortunately, she is actually partying it up with Konami for their new video game release. So she will be on probably next week as my guest. Um, we're also going to be having a couple of guests in the works in the next couple of weeks. Once I finalize it, you'll be seeing announcements on my, either MyTakeRadio.com or the Facebook fan page, uh, Fighters.com, MMAValor.com, of course, for being such great supporters of the show, the Darksiders crew at Darksiders.com, uh, VGN Radio and all their programming, VGNRadio.com, Cleveland Sports Radio, uh, Tumbling with Tumbleweed with Don Anderson, that's on Tuesdays. BornStubborn.com, of course, for all their work behind the scenes. Blaine is working on the new MyTakeRadio.com uh, with some of the graphics. 411Mania.com, of course, OC Remix, MMA Junkie, and FilmDrunk.com, of course. Those were all the plugs for this evening. With that said, if you got any emails, forward them to mtrhost.gmail.com. If you're on Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter.com slash MyTakeRadio. And, of course, if you're on MySpace, look for My Take Radio on there, for sure. And last but not least, 
Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash mytakeradio. Thank you all for tuning in. Catch you guys next week. With that said, we're going to get taken out by the OC Remix crew and the Super Mario Brothers Pipes Remix. You can get that at ocremix.org, and the artist is 7th Epic. Catch you guys next week. Peace.